Welcome to day four of the I Am Talk 2016 Kona Super Specials with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. Radio team, welcome along to day four of the I Am Talk Kona Super Specials 2016. How you going, Jombo? Pretty good, Bevan, and you? Pretty brilliant. Have you been lazy? You haven't gone running this morning? No, I did. There's you did go running? Yeah. I thought you said you didn't. No, I did because I don't want to do the swim this afternoon. Oh, I, th- I thought you said you didn't want to go running because you wanted to save yourself no, for the swim. No, no, because I figured, because it's Friday after, well, Friday morning now, and once we've got this bit, we're doing an interview after this bit, but then by about 11.30, I need to get the show up, so by about 12.30, my day's done. And I so thought, you've got plenty of time to go for a swim? No, I thought there's a bit of a beach down the road. And mm. when you're here, you're always doing stuff. I thought it's the only chance this whole trip I'm going to get to go lie down on the beach and read a book. So I'm going for a run. So you won't see me this one, John. You won't see me this one. Knock Not concerned. Anyway, I Am Talks Super Kona Super Specials are proudly brought to you by Endurance Sports Travel. Ken Glass Business. And you go to endurancesportstravel.com and check out all the awesome locations they go to. Germany, um, Brazil, New Zealand, all over the place. You want to take the hassle out of the travel, go check out Endurance Sports Take travel. the hassle out of the travel. John, oh, that is genius. that one. Tell you what, put that on the website again. So yeah, Endurance Sports Travel, go. we always get lots of good feedback. I was talking to Nick out in Morales the other day, saying he's busy as always with those guys, but it's kicking butt, so that's really good stuff. Uh, typical sponsors? Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Elected buffer. And lastly... If you want to come on our road camps, uh, not lastly, but if you want to come on our camp over to Challenge Road later uh, next year, we've got two spots left for that. You need to get it in, in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be an amazing experience. Check out imtalk.me. And lastly, patrons. Pa- and patrons, patrons, you rock. You know who you are. Just as you're riding your bike or you're going around and you work in your office, just, just say to yourself right now, I am a legend. Actually scream it out, especially if you're in your office. Just go, I am a legend. And then maybe yell out your nickname and stuff as well. Yep. DP yeah <laughs> what, what, what's with the DP uh, long story <laughs> anyway so if you're a patron thank you very much okay Jonbo so today it's the day before the race um, we, we we were just saying yesterday afternoon how quiet the kind of townships become you went down there did you go bike parties this morning bike parties this morning I was pretty busy this morning um, but yesterday afternoon it was pretty quiet and then this afternoon is bike check-in so it'll be busy for a period and then it will go dead quiet and we're going down to Lava Java for dinner tonight. And nice. Dave's going, oh, I've got a book, got a book. And I said, well, it's pretty quiet down there on... Uh, on you're, not, you're taking the risk. We're not taking the risk. But I said, well, you would probably be okay because it's say, pretty quiet. You're a pretty good planner. You wouldn't go off the cuff. Mm. Mm. Uh, so what's, what's the plan of the for the show today, John? Well, I'm going to do a course review. So when you guys are sitting there watching the Iron Man live coverage on race day, and we've got our fingers crossed that it's going to be immaculate coverage, they're going to have amazing splits, the timing chips of the pros are going to work perfectly, we're going to know exactly where everybody is, they're going to have lots of cameras out there covering, you know, not just the first place for three quarters of the run, and it's going to be awesome. But uh, So when they're going through the course and you hear the commentators mentioning all these names, sometimes it just goes over the top of your head if you haven't been here before, so we might uh, run through that and then we're going to hit it with the interviews. We've got some good ones today, guys. So yesterday at the media conference, I managed to get about two or three minutes with um, Fredino. It's a bit stressed, to be honest, John, because I, got, cause I had to wait in line. He's, he's a pretty popular guy <laughs> this yeah. week. And um, 
and I, I was lucky I was able to get him first of all. And uh, what was really funny, there was a bit of a dork in front of me, and, and he goes, he was, I think it was French. Yeah. And uh, he goes to Fredino, um, do you know who I am? Fredino goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he's some guy on Twitter that gives people a hard time. Fredino goes, do you go? Because everyone a hard time. And he goes, yeah, but who am I? Do you remember me? And I was like, come on, you dork, Fredino. You must meet a thousands of people oh, and it's what does it, it's not about you right now mate and so anyway so I kind of sat beside there and then I got my two minutes and you kind of felt aware that you're lots of other people around but I started talking and then I realised I hadn't pushed record because on our call recorder you push record twice to record and luckily the first question you press record okay this time yeah I have push record okay yeah, stressed a little bit you know, so. yeah. um, but, I, but I luckily about 15 seconds into it I realised that I'd done that and so uh, the first interview we're going to have will be Fredino and then y- D- Daniela Reef. I basically called on to who's the guy from Slow Twitch your guy Carlson is it um, um, oh, what's Tim Carlson Tim Carlson yeah he was basically had her by himself so I just went and chucked the mic in front of that interview and then asked a couple of questions that I think probably about six minutes with Daniela and then early on I got a little bit with um, Keenlay Keenlay and then we've also got Cullen Millwood coming up later on. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to put the whole media conference. And, and this year, guys, the media conference is probably the best I've ever been to. The, the guy from South Africa ran it really well. It was really efficient. There was no really mucking around in the whole thing. So it was kind of cool. And then uh, after that, we've got three age groupers. We've got a few age groupers. So we've got uh, Hector Picard. I'm not sure what order these are coming out. We've got Hector Picard. That's pretty impressive. This dude's oh, a, a para-athlete, and he's got uh, no arm on one side, uh, and then probably about cut off it as about his bicep on the other side, and then uh, God, you're, you're going to hear all about it, guys, but it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. So we've got uh, Hector. We had uh, Cam Hansen in there as well from Australia, um, and also Damien Collins, who's a top age grouper, gunning for, gunning for victory, but had a bit of a rocky road to get here, and, and an aspiring pro, as well as having a pretty cool little um, YouTube channel that he, that he keeps updated and keeps things pretty entertained. So that's, that's pretty much going to be today's show. But before we do, John, what's happening on the course? So the course, the swim course, which this year is the Roka swim course, 3.86 kilometres long, 2.41 miles. Uh, it's a, they go in a clockwise direction. So you kind of, when they get in at Digby Beach, you've got to remember Digby Beach is not really a beach. It's a little patch of sand that's always wet. There's nowhere you can, and you basically jump in there and uh, you've got about, you know, Three or four strides in the in the beach, and then you you swim out towards the end of the pier, which is. Wait a second! I always thought the the other side was Digby Beach. No, I never knew that. No. Oh, I thought the, so, so. So the bit where you get in, that's called Digby Beach. Yes. Oh, I never knew that. I always thought the side where people, you know, the families kind of hang out. No, no. On the other side of the pier. I think that's called Turtle Beach. I think. Oh. Well, now I know. You I'm, heard something. I'm glad I'm listening. Yeah. So you swim out towards the pier, and uh, what really surprised me last time we were out here. And when we were on the boat, and maybe we were even on the pier, was I, d- I thought the pros would do a lot more warm up than what they do, but they don't seem to do a huge amount. And considering how important the start of the swim is, um, it was somewhat surprising. So, head out in the swim, and they put some big boats out there. When you're swimming along as an age grouper, it uh, Sometimes you feel like you're out in the middle of the big blue. We're going to go and do that this afternoon. Uh, there's usually a bit of swell. It's not usually crazy waves or anything like that. On the times you know, I've been out there, you can get some decent swell, and it's typically a bit slower than what you see elsewhere in the world because it's a, it's a non-wetsuit swim, and it's usually a pretty pretty honest distance. So come out of the swim, and you sw- the end of the swim, you do come alongside the pier, and then you come back out on Digme Beach, and the, the swim time is taken... 
when you're actually out of the beach and you've, uh, you've got up these stairs. And remember last year, Dylan McNeese managing to just take out Frodo, but it was, you know, Frodo was really laying it down there towards the end. Um, but Dylan made sure he got out well, first. Well, we'll talk about this later on. And then... Um, hurdle through transition and uh, grab your bikes and you straight up this very small hill so you get on oh, that's a rookie I bet you guys didn't hear that Bevan's on to his how many cokes have you had today? This is my 20th You're not concerned about your insides getting eaten by the chemicals and that crap? No, it's good for you John it makes you stronger oh. Big big muscles that are aspartame you know it's good for you Yeah Anyway, come out of the bike they've got a very short um, climb up to to hot corner uh, so you got to be onto it and get into your shoes if you're going to do that very, very quickly. And remember a few years ago we saw, uh, was it Marino Van Holnacker yeah. ride into the back of someone or someone ride into the back of him? Well, I think this, because Matty Reid, when we interviewed him the other day, he was saying that, because we didn't get this on the interview, and he was saying that that, that bit was so important in, oh no, this, no, no, no. we're going to go back up again, sorry, I wasn't listening but, that time. So it's, 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 a, it's a very short little uphill, and then you hang a left, and you go out towards where the swimming pool is, and then that takes you up to the to the Queen K. You turn back into town, and then you come, you go up Mark and Dave Hill, or most most of Mark and Dave Hill, yep. which we, Bevan and I, ran up last night, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a reasonable little grade there, it's, yeah. it's probably... You can see why it was a good place to attack. Yeah, it's probably sort of 3%, I would have thought. And so really easy place to um, pump up huge wattage if you're not uh, not concentrating and uh, you're all excited at the start of the race. And then you turn right and you come bombing down uh, Palani Hill. And then, but it's a no passing zone. So if you are watching the footage and if they have got you know, if they have got any footage coming down there, uh, you're not. I don't know if it's the same for the pros, but certainly for the age groups, it's supposed to be a non-passing zone. And last time, it did my head in when some gumbies were just going down there at just a pathetic speed. And you know, I was like, I can't pass, and you're just losing time. So it was very frustrating. At the bottom, you make a really hard left left turn, and I think it was Matt Hansen maybe last year crashed there. So I've never really seen many crashes, but I think he managed to do that. And uh, and then you're going up Kua, the Kuakini Highway, which is again certainly not a steep climb, but it's enough that you can really, both for the pros and the age groupers, really be pumping out some huge watts if you're not careful. It's also quite bumpy and it's quite easy to lose your drink bottles and you go up there, I don't know, maybe maybe 3Ks or something like that, turn around and it's a gentle downhill. And for the age groupers at that section of the race, things are really starting to clump up and, and guys are just bombing down there. <laughs> And then you make a right-hand turn. If you're watching this race, if you're listening and you want to watch somewhere, Palani's the best place to be early on the bike ride, about two-thirds of the way up. It's uh, two, two or three lanes wide. and uh, Lots of people, lots of energy. Yeah, and both the age troopers and the pros are just killing it, and that's the section where yeah, you see. Yeah, so when we're talking to Matt Reid, <coughs> he was saying when he came along, he was at the back of the pack there, and he knew, and he was saying most guys, he just thought most guys would cruise up it because early on, but it was basically a TT for the pros, and you kind of have to TT up there for a pros because he did, he he couldn't get in front of everyone, mm. he couldn't pass anyone going up there, and so at the top of Polani, he was basically at the back of the pack, and that cost him the race ultimately because he had to work so hard mm. to try to you know catch the crew in front of him. So that even though it's only what a k or so. Mm. No, it's probably 500 metres. Yeah, it's a pivotal part of the race. Age groupers, it's not no, super no, pivotal, yeah, but the, some age groupers going up there, I kid you not, they would be going 500 watts. They are absolutely killing it, and uh, and in the process, possibly killing their race as well. So you get to the top of the of, um, 
Blarney Hill, you hang your left and that's really where it's time to settle into the race and uh, you've got a big old drag all the way out down the, the Queen K which just, it just rolls along, it's um, big chain ring stuff pretty much all the way, um, especially for the, at least for the pros it is, age groupers if they're a little bit weaker would need to be out of the big chain ring. Beautiful smooth surface, very straight roads, just rolls along, probably about 50, 50 odd k's, maybe a little bit more, and then you, you get to the end of the Queen K and you turn left to go down to Kawaihai, short downhill, and then you start the sort of the, the, the climb up to um, up to Harvey. It sort of starts um, pretty gently and just sort of gently rolls and staircases up. And then uh, towards the end, then it just starts to pick up. But it's certainly nothing extreme. But it is a uh, small chain ring unless you're a real uh, beast on the bike. Get up to Harvey, turn around, and then come bombing down, depending on what the wind's doing. And again, when I raced here a couple of years ago, there were some people that were just crawling down there. And really, it's a good opportunity to stay on top of your, if you're a power meter, stay on top of your power numbers and uh, and keep the pressure, pressure down because you can make up a lot of time. And it's in that stretch, sort of just before Harvey and after Harvey, where we often see some action. So if you're watching the coverage, make sure that you are watching. Down the Queen K, there's not really no, usually not much, much happening. But if you, if anything, if, it's just the pack gets spread out, and maybe you lose a few of the back straddlers. Exactly. If you, but if you time time you're watching, so they're going to be sort of, you know, nearly halfway through the bike. Uh, that's where we'll start to see some action. We saw Tim O'Donnell last year, I think it was. Um, that's when he managed to get away. The year before, Ben Hoffman. But it's often the time where you see Keenlay and those guys really starting to ratchet it up, yep. and also you're starting to see guys pop off the back. Uh, and then you get down to the bottom. We've talked about this before. You get to Kuakini and you have this climb that's maybe it's less than a K, but to get back up to the Queen K, but it's usually hot. You're tired. You smoked at that stage, and it's a, it often can be a pivotal part of the race and, and a really easy spot to get dropped. You turn back onto the Queen K, and then you've got that rolling back all the way back into town. You've got a decent climb up to Scenic Lookout. You often hear people talk about that as well. That's uh, you get there, and it's about 30 Ks to go, so 20 20 miles or so, and again. That last 20 miles, you can make up huge time if you're an age grouper or a pro, if you've got uh, gas in the tank. And then you come back into town, and it's time for the run. And run and begins. Run begins. You run da- up and down uh, Ali Drive, which is a lot more rolling than what people uh, often anticipate. It's, yeah, not, nothing crazy hills or anything like that, but just rolling, so it's really quite hard to keep a, a K pace. You know, you need to be looking more at your, your average speed. And uh, you finish that section around about 10 miles, and then you've got the grind up a Palani Hill, about 500 metres, pretty steep. You're 10 miles into the run. It's pretty hot. You do have the crowd there, but if you're having a good day, it's great. If you're having a bad day, Palani is often where people just, uh, you know, Throw in the towel and uh, and go, crikey duck, I've got to make it through the rest of this run. Get to the top and then it's uh, time for your loneliness and uh, get out in the Queen K and it's just a lonely old drag out there. All the way out to the Energy Lab, turn around, out of the Energy Lab, gets very, very hot. Top of the Energy Lab, you often, uh, you've got 10K to go and it's either a 10K grovel home or a 10K, uh, you know, really make your race and make up some big time. And we, Bevan and I went out last night and dropped, uh, and Mark Kendall, one of our support crew guys, dropped a high car off at the airport, which is just beyond the Energy Lab, and uh, ran back, and we did it in the dark. Um, there was a lot of traffic, so it wasn't quite as dark as what it is on race day, but it's, um, it's a long old drag. 
Yeah, it, it wasn't too bad for us because we, we were fresh, but you, I was thinking, Jeepers, if I'd just come at the end of my Ironman right now, this would be pretty mentally just kind of draining because it's not the most interesting run either, is it? No, no, yeah. very straight line stuff. And especially for those first pros, there's, no, there's nobody out there. Like when you're, once you're age groupers, there's people around, there's people coming both directions so you can kind of feel part of it. Mm. But for you know people like Frodo and those guys out the front, there's nothing out there. It really is a test against you and the course. There's, there's maybe a couple of media vehicles, but there's yeah, no. there's maybe three or four motorbikes around them. And well, that, and apparently now we much. can't even get out on the bike. So if that's the case, it would be you know because back in the old days you'd bike along, there'd be people you know cheering them along and stuff. Whereas nowadays I think they're limiting that. So it really is isolation, isn't it? Mm, which is kind of cool and kind of kind of sucks as well. So and and then you come to Mark and Dave Hill, and I haven't run that for quite some sometime if, if ever actually we were out, outside of the race and yeah we ran it yesterday I, I clicked the, the lap button and it's it's nearly a k um to get all the way up to the set of lights at the top of palani where you turn right so it's a good old drag as i said before i don't know probably about three percent three percent when you are deep 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 into the marathon you know probably 40 k's in it's uh it's tough yeah, if, if, if you're going head to head. Yeah, like it's not a hill, but if you're trying to push your way up, you know, if you, it was the perfect time to attack, wasn't it? Mm. You know, if you think about that race, that iconic race. So yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Get to the top, turn right, bomb down Palani Drive. Quads are screaming, and you get to the bottom, and you got to turn left, and you still have got about a mile to go from from there. And you kind of you you you're right there. You're basically at the finish line, but you got to do a little out and back and come back down and let you drive. So kind of a, a tricky but also a tricky part of the race but also only a mile to go so you kind of got hopefully adrenaline to get you through and then you finish you do and uh it's a tricky finish in terms of getting support you cross the line you quite a distance until you get to the aid stations and the massages miles away just through no fault of wtc it's just the lay of the land so yeah. we'll be there though bevan so that's the race team. So when you're watching the race this weekend or tomorrow, or wherever you are, uh, you'll be able to watch and think about all the stuff John's just talked about there. So guys, we're going to get into the interviews right now. We've got uh, Frodo coming up first, Daniela Reef second, and then from there we've got introductions to everybody. So here we go. To your competitors and to the conditions especially, but uh, I do really hope that I have some legs similar or better than Roth. How's the experience different from, you know, the Olympic experience? You know, winning the Olympic gold medal, I imagine, was a pretty kind of high-profile event for you, and then to win Kona. What's the experience been? Is it very similar, or is it pretty different in regards to what happened post-race? To be honest, it was, it was pretty crazy post-race. I was, I was real surprised. There were a lot of people, a lot of hype, a lot of reception, and it almost seems like you're racing as a team at the Olympics, and you're just one of, you know, 16 gold medalists for Germany in that case. Uh, whereas here, you know, everybody knows about Kona. Somebody's heard about it, somebody identifies that you ask about triathlon and people immediately associate Kona. So it was absolutely huge and and great to see, you know, where our sport's going and, and how many people actually know about it. Yeah. Well, um, just regards to, um, you know, you now have responsibilities in your life, you know, you've got a kid, you know, there's, how does, does that change anything for you or, you know, the management of life and all that kind of stuff? Like, what actually changes for you? Yeah, you do think about it a little bit more when you're going off the front and you know putting all your eggs in one basket, and you kind of like, well, I could just win it and cash on a big check paycheck and still get all the bonuses. Um, but it's never been my nature to to race that way. You know, I, I look at it more as a support because my family still loves me, whether I'm good or or crap. So it's um, it's it's more of a support rather than a burden. 
how do you find this? You know, like you know, because I'm sure you get the same thousand questions over and over again, the same answer. How do you find this aspect of the job? Um, you know, it's 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 been interesting because I've given more non triathlon related interviews it's, it's it's taken a step to mainstream media where you almost have to explain the baby steps of triathlon in the first part of the interview but then the the questions are very different because a lot of people can't imagine how Ironman works there a lot of questions go into the mental aspect of it and that's something you can philosophize about for hours so it's been kind of kind of exciting and as a German racing in Roth, you know, it's a good preparation because there's, there's, there's a room twice as big with full, full of people from all over who, who want to hear the story. Um, you kind of, you know, grow with it. Yeah. Uh, good luck again. Thank you for your time. Sweet. Thank you. One of the races I always was always on my bucket list and um, that's why I decided to do it. And um, yeah, I'm really glad I did. It was, of course, a challenge because I had to do both to be able to qualify. But um, yeah, I did it. So I'm... Breaking Chrissy's record, possibly, at uh, Roth. You were four minutes off, pretty close. No, I wasn't at all. I, I didn't even think I could go anything that close. Um, to me, she's, uh, yeah, she's amazing. She's a legend. And what she achieved is um, pretty incredible. And, yeah, that I could go that close, what she did, is, um, was a big surprise. And, of course, it made me also very proud. And to see her there as well, uh, congratulating to me and, um, yeah, talking to her, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was for me, it was a, a very emotional and on a day I will never forget, yeah. How did you go one week later and go 8.51? I just did it. <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about the comparisons to Chrissy? Uh, well, no, I won once here and she won, I think, four times, so I don't think I can compare myself to her. I, I mean, I try to, like, get little things like she did and, um, you know, like, I train with the same coach and I, I know that, like, he knows about how, how strong she was, so um, I definitely have a lot of respect from her and I, I wouldn't... I, I think I'm a diff, like yeah I'm I, I'm Daniela Reef and she's Chrissy and I I don't think I, I'll get anything any uh, get soon that close to her um, what she achieved yeah. How much did that take away from you when you went for the Ironman 70.3 Worlds? Um, well, pardon? You must have been tired. I don't know. It's it. Then my legs didn't definitely didn't feel great um, in Mololuba. Um, but I'm not sure if that was the reason. Um, after that, of course, I did I did quite a bit of work on my uh, with massage and everything to to make them even a bit better. So I've, they have been better since then, much better. And um, otherwise, I was surprised. I I recovered fairly well. I could train a few days later after Zurich. I could train again and I could run again. So it didn't it didn't feel it broke me. It, it felt like it made me stronger. I just had to loosen it up, you know, first. Do you have any regrets whatsoever for not having a chance at the million dollar payday after a third at uh, Malulaba? No, not at all. I mean, I gave it a try and um, yeah, I won it once last year and um, yeah, next year is another year, so it's. Um, I'm very happy with my situation, and I couldn't be more grateful what I could achieve last year and uh, also this year so far. You're looking forward to a great duel with Marinda, who has uh, a better run, and arguably you have the better bike and maybe a little better swim. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to all of the competition. Um, I mean, Melissa Hauschild is also a competitor, which is uh, not to underestimate. She can also bike and run strong. And I, um, yeah, like I said, from Oluluba, I, I believe I can also run well. And I, um, 
I've had a few good good runs the last few weeks and I'm 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 definitely going to take my chance if I can and fight for it. What was the last word that Brett told you? Usually he has a couple key phrases to say going into a race. They probably come tomorrow or so. The key, they will come tomorrow. How does it mean to be back here on the island to you to be part of the Ironman World Championships once again as a defending champion? Yeah, it's uh, I mean a great feeling, especially having these memories from last year and also two years ago. It's a lot of good memories I have from here and I um, yeah, it's that race once a year, the big the big festival of triathlon, I think. And I um, yeah, you have to be prepared for it because uh, it's definitely another another level of racing because with the conditions and with with the best at their best. How do, you, how do you handle the attention of being the champion? You know, like there's a there's the attention of the extra work you have to do because you're in this position, and you obviously want to make the most of the opportunity for your financial position. But also, you know, you walk around here, and everybody kind of wants your attention. How do you handle that, and how do you manage that well? Well, I, I got a great team around me as well. They uh, help me with everything. So yeah, it would be. I'm not sure. It probably wouldn't be possible to do it by myself anymore. So that's a big thing. Like to have people. They yeah, they help you and also um, coordinate things. Um, it, it was definitely new to have that much attention, and it's it took me a while to kind of get used to a bit to bit to it a bit. But also, I think it's um, at times you have to just find your uh, peace and then just uh, do your thing and not let yourself distract. Uh, getting distracted. You know, coming into being the champion, what have you discovered? What are some challenges that you maybe wouldn't have seen until you're actually in this position that, and that have maybe you're presented with now that you are the champion? Uh, I didn't get that, sorry. Uh, so, like some of the challenges that have come along that you've been a champion that maybe you didn't have beforehand? Well, I mean, the the whole yeah the whole experience is like after after the triple crown last year after Kona and then triple crown I, I came home only in uh, December and it was uh, yeah it was massive I mean even to, to be honored from Switzerland as the sportwoman of the year was huge and it was definitely um, great to see that as a triathlete being recognized in Switzerland so well where triathlon is not the, the most um, famous sport. Um, made me quite proud and also I think uh, yeah I was hoping to represent the triathlon well in my country so um, and there's you know you, you meet people uh, you probably wouldn't meet otherwise so it's it's interesting but it's also yeah I still my life didn't change that much I still like I still live in my small flat and uh, I like it quiet and peaceful so it's yeah your people don't change and I think that's important. Thank you for your time and good luck this weekend. Thank you. I got former Ironman champion here, Sebastian Kingley. How you going, mate? Pretty good, thanks. Um, it's race week, uh, two days to go, so of course a little bit nervous, but I think um, uh, that's a, that's the right uh, mindset you have to have to push yourself to the limit. You said you came directly from the 70.3 World Champions, so you've been here for four weeks. Does, does it start to get a bit impatient? You know, do you just kind of want to get the race done now? Uh, yeah, pretty much. But I think um, everybody has that uh, kind of feeling. If you if you think you need another week to be better prepared, I think you have done something wrong. Um, I've done that in the last five years. Um, uh, yeah, always came here after 70.3 World. So for me, it seemed to work pretty well. Uh, but the, to set that, uh, I also have to add that I've never done anything different. So I don't know if it's probably better to, to stay at home. But for me, it was always good to have like this long travel in two steps, um, two, two stages pretty much. So 
um, uh, with um, the 70.3 in uh, in uh, in either uh, North America or or now in uh, in Australia. It's like uh, yeah, pretty much half the distance uh, to to Hawaii, and um, that always seemed to help my my adaptation to the to the time zone and also to the to the to the climate. This year, how's this year gone for you? How have you felt about your, your racing, your training, and everything in place this year? Yeah, pretty good. I think my my average position is like uh, one point um, four nine or something yeah, like that. Like, that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> um, uh, I think um, so. So should be uh, should be between one and two here. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, of course, um, uh, it's. I would have loved to to also win 70.3 worlds. Um, it's it's hard if you uh, if you lose it in a, with that small of a margin. But at the end, um, my my shape is is uh, is where it where it has to be. So I'm happy with that. And so let's let's see what happens here. Talk us about that race. You know what was it like? You know there was a pretty tough fight at the end there. What was that like? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, in in like all the winter training and most of training sessions, you you have something like that in mind. You're looking forward to to that kind of situ- situation. And I always would rather uh, lose a race like that instead of winning it with like a five six minutes uh, margin. That's definitely something that um, that sticks in your mind also after you end your career. And uh, so um, that's. That's races you you train for as a as a pro athlete. So uh, I've no I've no regrets um, when it comes to uh, to the decision. But of course um, I I would have loved to end up on on top. That's for sure. I mean probably I was a little bit too uh, too confident about my my running abilities. And um, yeah, after I dropped him like four or five times, um, he dropped me uh, when it counted the most. Yeah. Uh, just this weekend, you know, obviously don't want to give away game plans, but uh, how do you see the race kind of panning out? <laughs> it's always, of course, it's always the same question, and it's always the same uh, same answer. You, you you don't really know till till it happens. Um, of course, I think that Jan is pretty much a clear favorite. He has no weaknesses, and um, to be honest, I mean, uh, the races this year, I think he even wasn't at his uh, very best. So uh, I hope. To at least see a Jan who who has to go a hundred percent here, and uh, I want to play a part in that. <laughs> well, we really look forward to having a great race, mate. Good luck on the weekend. Thanks. Got a bit of an inferiority complex going on because I'm with someone very famous at the moment. Uh, cupcakes with Cal, Callum Millwood, who is our only our second Kiwi in the elite race, um, and he's just got rid of all his caps. How have you been swamped today, Callum? Yeah, I w- not really celebrity status, but definitely carved a little niche in the triathlon market, which is nice because, I mean, I don't know, I, I enjoy connecting with people and uh, just catching up with people and just showing, you know, there's a few different personalities in our sport. You've uh, you got on a bit of a roll a while ago and producing loads of shows. What's the sort of, uh, where are you going to take it? I think I'll... Like I, I try to do a half semi one, sorry, a half serious one this year, and um, people kind of just enjoy like the sarcastic sort of Aussie Kiwi British humour, and people are pushing for that. You know, they want cupcakes back. So the gist of it is really is just sarcastic interviews where I'll sort of plant some seeds and see if the pro can run with it and have some fun with it and 
I just have just started doing them again and I did Lionel Sanders at um, 70.3 Worlds in Mooloolabar and he was so good, just really ran with it. So um, that's the plan. I've done the Wirtels as well, Tim Reed and Caroline Steffen, so I just need to edit those now and get them out after um, Kona blows over. Sponsors must be loving it. Yeah, I think so. Like, it's, a, it's definitely a point of difference and um, there's plenty of serious interviews around there like you're probably aware of and it's more like I'm not trying to like step on anyone's toes. I'm just, you know, like one day we came up with this concept of just sort of having fun interviews and because um, I have no journalism experience and I'm, I'm probably terrible at um and ahhing and um, so yeah, I don't know where it's going. We'll just keep having fun with it and I have access to a lot of the pros and Boulder and Noosa so that's that's the plan. What's um, you, you started off the season with a with a hiss and a roar Ironman New Zealand, you know, almost taking down uh, King Cameron. Um, what's sort of been going on since then? Because we've sort of seen some. I think we saw maybe a DNF at, at uh, Whistler, and it's been looks like it's been a little bit up and down. Yeah, I mean, it started off really well with um, New Zealand, and I sort of Geelong and Bustleton 70.3s, and had a third and a fourth, and so it was all going pretty well. And then I did Ironman Texas. And I did Ironman um, Whistler in Texas, I was 10th, and just sort of struggled a bit in the heat. Um, and I don't, I don't know, you always, you always kind of try to critique yourself in, it's hard to give credit to other people when they beat you, because you always want to sort of back yourself, like internally at least, like I wouldn't jump on social media and say I should have done better, but um, I was disappointed with 10th, and then in, um, in Whistler I just... I was in fifth when I pulled out. I, I had an issue with my calf, which was a little bit frustrating. And um, but that's all behind me now, and that's kind of just the way it goes as well. Like I messaged with Brownie a little bit, and um, I know he struggled at Copenhagen Ironman and a couple of others, uh, Cairns, and um, it's just you got to expect to have some bad races, and it's real cliche, but you do learn a lot from them when it goes bad, and sometimes it's good just to get back to the drawing board. And what's, you know, were you, were you the last qualifier or you were very close and did, did you think you were actually going to get here? Yeah, well, I had a backup plan to maybe go and do Taiwan or one of Malaysia or another race around this time. But I, so that for pro racing, they announced the first 40 in July, the July qualifiers, and then announced the following 10 a month later. So I just missed the July qualifiers. Um, I think I was the second person to miss out. I was about 42nd or 41st. And, um, and then since I didn't race that following month, a bunch of guys behind me leapfrogged me, so it put me right on the, on the ropes. So I was holding my breath. And, um, and yeah, I got the last spot. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you qualify first or last. Like, on Saturday, everyone's come from a different background, and it is what it is. So. And what are you sort of hoping to get out of the weekend? Uh, I mean, I have my own personal goals, but... Um, yeah, obviously, I, I just want to get some runs on the board. I didn't have a great race here last year. I struggled, and I gave up mentally more than physically. Um, halfway during the run, it was just... I remember seeing Dylan McNeese, and it was just... It is everything it, it is made out to be. It's just hot, and it's hard. And um, But it's probably more so the competition. A lot of the other races around the world, um, the, the, the field's not as deep, so you're always within the money and always within the points. Whereas here, when someone's like, oh... You're 17th off the bike. I'm like, oh crap! I get no points. I get no money, and I sort of gave up on myself after an hour into the run, and that's what I'm most disappointed about. But you live and learn, and um, 
so yeah, like I don't want to say I, I want to get this position in the weekend, but I definitely want to, first of all, I want to finish, and then second of all, I have processes to make sure I have a good race, and I'll just work on those first, because you can have a great race here and still finish outside the top 10, because it's, it's super, super tight. And uh, plugs for, for people wanting to follow you, any sponsorship stuff, or, or anything you want to get out there? Yeah, I'm on pretty much all social media platforms that... Um, just my name, Callum Millward, and I uh, keep them all pretty pretty update and um, uh, not too serious on most of them. I like to see the lighter side of things and have some fun with it. And I don't know, that's that's the main gist behind my brand, I think, as well. I just like to show that we're pretty regular people. I'll, I occasionally will miss a session or sleep in, and we're all human at the end of the day. I just I like to show off that side of it. Wax or shave? I uh, definitely shave. I've been waxed before by my sister who's a beautician and it's horrible. Uh, we may have asked you this, this before. If you're going to do a fresh marathon uh, with six months training, just running, what do you reckon you could bang out? I reckon I could go around 2.30. Yeah. It's less lowballing it. And uh, what's the other question we do? Facial products. Do you use any facial products? Uh, no, not really. My both my mum and both my sisters are all in the beauty industry and are always drumming on about it, but no, I don't really need shampoo or facial products. I'll occasionally use moisturiser, but I just rely on my genetics. Fantastic. I'll kick some ass out there for New Zealand on the weekend. Yeah, thanks, mate. Cheers. We've just established a very interesting fact with our testing over here. Well, I'm more surprised you boys know this, but hey, hey, we will go there. Inside so. details. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, Damien Collins from Damien Collins' Adventure Unearthed. Ooh. And I don't actually know how I got on to Damien, but um, well, I thought he might be a bit of an interesting chat as he wants to be, uh, well he is a top age grouper and wants to get to the very top of his age group, but also unleashes some uh, entertainment on Facebook. So welcome along to the show. How you going everyone? So tell us a little bit about your, your gig, um, you're, you're, you're here, but what's your sort of journey been over the last couple of years? Uh, well, I guess first triathlon I started was 2013, and that was Ironman Australia. Now, prior first triathlon, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did I, I did like one off-road triathlon, like yeah. a little treks one, and yeah, but first proper road triathlon. Yeah. I was um, adventure racing and mountain biking before that, so sort of got a little bit sick of like the team environment and yeah. relying on other people. So. I don't know. When you say adventure racing, when you're doing some of that kind of crazy four-day stuff, or was it that kind of level? Uh, the biggest one I did was two days. So, yeah. like, GeoQuest and a fair few 24-hour races. Yeah. Um, never, like, super competitive. It was just more just having fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me a second. In terms of your... In terms of your progress, you know, were you good at that first one and you've just gone on from there or was it a steady or a steep progression or did you just spank it from the first one? Okay, so I still look back at my first one. Like I remember my position on the bike, I was seeing a bit of atmosphere, didn't even shave my legs. Like it was a piss take. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I went like 10-20. That was pretty good for the first time. In the 18-24 and yeah. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I might actually uh, train properly for one of these and uh, that was third of my age group and then the next year... So 2014, I was like, all right, I'll go over to New Zealand and I'll qualify for Kona. And yeah. end of story, that was it. Yeah. So I, I did that, went over to New Zealand and went nine something, 
don't even know, 9.30? 2014. 2014. You one of those pricks that passed me late in the run. <laughs> oh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> I don't even remember the last 10k of that run. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was, I think I went like 9.30, 9.36 or something like oh, that. No, you didn't pass me. It's Got okay. It's okay. <laughs> and, and qualified for Kona. So, yeah. um, and then we went on a holiday down to Queenstown, just like a boys trip the week after that and got pretty rowdy and I was downhill mountain biking there and I broke my wrist oh, no. I broke my scaphoid so it was like a little bone in my bone in my thumb basically and I was still plumbing full time at that stage and it was um, eight weeks off work in a cast and then the cast come off and it was another eight weeks off work on light duties mm-hmm. so I had four months off work where I was like alright well I'll just train every day Yeah. and that was sort of like the goal of I started getting pretty good and I was like alright well I'll have a crack at a real crack at Kona this year, and that was when the spark got lit to turn pro. So, so you went to Kona, and uh, you know you had a pretty good tapo, but obviously you're thinking about being competitive in Kona. So, how'd your first Kona go? Uh, I got fourth. It's pretty good. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I really come over here wanting to win, um, and you know, hindsight looking back, yeah, definitely could have. But you sort of look back now and you go, you can't expect anything on this island. Like mm. you can have an amazing day and. It all falls together, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong, which you don't expect as a first-timer. Mm. So I look back at that result and go, that was all right for a first go. Mm. And as you're racing on that day, were you, like, did you know where you were? Were you in a position where you could have won it? Like, what actually, had the day? I had of? no idea where I was. Okay. Like, I remember I got up to Harvey feeling pretty good and didn't ride out of control or anything, but it just fell apart on the way back home and started the run awful just couldn't hold pace just throwing up just too much i think i just overloaded the nutrition on the bike and had no idea where i was on the field i thought it was way out the back and got up into the queen k and i started running all right going i am ticking over 420s 430s we'll just do this home and um i ended up coming in it was like 9 30 something again and yeah no idea where i was i remember I, i jumped onto the actual scale at like like the weight scale and i was like I think I was like eight kilos I lost or something really? like so dehydrated. Oh, wow. And the first thing that came into my head was, oh, I could be a pro cyclist at this weight. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like I should drink some water. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, cool. And then I walked over to training piece, got my time and fourth. I was like, what? Yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was having a shocker. Yeah. So. And, and rolling around this year, um, you've had a bit of a, a bit of a rocky road. Mm. Well, wait a second. You went back enough. So you raced three times. So then the second yeah, year. Yeah. So last back. last year I raced Melbourne. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Last year, 2015. Um, went 8:46 there. Nice. And that was yeah with a five minute penalty. Yeah. So I was I was going there to break the course record and it's close. Yeah. Um, and then from Melbourne, I just progressed all through the year and I was in amazing shape. Went to the sunny coast. It's first age group across the line there and. That was, I think I'd done two 12-hour training days that week. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so it's just, I, was, it's just a I literally trained straight yeah. into it, had a really good result, got over here, and I remember treading water at the start of the line, looking at everybody going, yeah, this is, this is mine today, guys. Like, yeah. this, is, this is me. And I had a, a reasonable swim for me, um, got onto the bike and climbed up straight out of transition up Polani, and it was just like, ooh, my legs have never felt like this before. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I... Straight away on the bike, I like, just had no power. The whole day, I was thinking, all right, they'll come good in the next hour, and it just went backwards. It just If you're overtrained here, um, you, you come to know it really quickly on race day. So 
I ended up finishing just under 10 hours. It was just a, it's one of them races I started. I'm like, I'm not pulling out. I'm going to finish. A lot of people try to get here and, you know, they can't do it. So for me to be so lucky to basically qualify when I want to, it's sort of a bit of respect just to finish that day. And you do feel it was purely because you're overtraining? That year, yeah, I'd, I'd done a lot of work. Like, <laughs> I'd, I went pretty deep in training every week. I yeah. was doing some crazy sessions and um, looking back, I could see the signs of fatigue when I was over here looking back, but you sort of go, oh, it's just the heat. It's just my taper, you know, why isn't my power there? It's just because, you know, everyone feels a bit sluggish when they get here. Heart rate's right up all sessions. I'm really tired, but, you know, hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? <laughs> In that stage, you're still working full-time? Uh, that stage, I was just doing three days a week. So I was working part-time, then I dropped the work back um, just so I could focus a bit more on training and get them, them big sessions out. There's a lot of sessions where, I'd, you know, I'd finish training and it'd be midnight. <laughs> Just, yeah, keen beaver. Now, what what about what, what's sort of the plan now? You know, you've had this year. You, you would have, I'd assume, been trying to peak for for Sunny Coast um, Worlds, but I know you had a bit of a, a mishap. So maybe just run us through this year. Okay, so this year started off rocky. Um, so end of last year, sort of November, I had a couple of stress reactions in my shins, so they didn't progress any further than that. So I backed the running right off, and then. I couldn't run for like, I think from November through to Ironman New Zealand in March, I think I'd run 140k total in like mm. five months. Mm. Um, and I just like, whatever I did, it was, wasn't responding to anything. I just couldn't run. Shins were so sore all the time. Uh, I really wanted to get back here for one last crack at Kona. So I raced anyway. Um, and I went 906 in New Zealand and I didn't qualify. Mm. Um, shows, shows what's happening with the qualification slots now, but doesn't it? Yeah, you know, you know, to get nine oh six and not get your slot. And New Zealand's not a fast race, so it was fast. It was year, a quicker still, day this but year, still but nine oh six yeah. is going to get you any any rust that will get your slot usually. Usually, so it's just the luck of the draw. So ideally, I, I would have liked to have qualified there and caught a quits for a little while and get my body right and then continue fresh from there. But that wasn't the case, so I, I trained through for Ironman Cairns um, off. You know, limited training. I went 906 again, um, which, you know, that got me my spot. And then from there, kept training into Sunny Coast, and then got hit by a car. Mm. So that put me out for a little bit, recovered from that. Yeah, then, you know, started to get my mojo back. And then the day before Sunny Coast, I went for a body surf, just rolling, oh, not a body surf, went for a swim, body surfed a wave in. Got dumped into the sand, busted my AC joint. So, so you, <coughs> luck probably is a bit on your side, but getting hit by a car, does it really hurt your confidence? Yeah, like I come from a BMX background, so on a bike I'm I'm pretty confident. Like I'm that idiot that's jumping gutters and doing track stands at lights and just being a bit of a hooligan on a bike. But I got hit from behind, so it was a hit and run. Oh, really? And um, it's just one of them things like... I was doing no wrong. I was riding by myself up a up a climb on a Sunday in midday, so it was a very local area, and it's still now like I'm just really anxious on the road. Every car that passes you, a little bit close, you sort of yeah. you're gripping your bars. You just you're feeling not so confident, and it's slowly going away. But yeah, it does shake you up definitely. Well, we're, we're, Lionel Sanders over there, he's been for hit four times. Mm. So. He's basically just an indoor trainer now, so it's like, you know, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a confidence blow, but, 
you know, one idiot can't really stop you from what you want to do. Yeah. So one of your claims to fame is you, uh, you've got some pretty funky YouTube clips that are fairly, <laughs> fairly entertaining. So tell us a little bit about that, why you do them, and, and what sort of mission. Okay, so they all started from, I guess, 2014, the first year I was coming over here. I did like a, a video series, a video blog. I think it was like Age Groupers Journey to Kona, and it was a, a 12 or a 13 episode. I guess one week at a time, I'd just release a video of what I was doing that week, and they were pretty successful and you know I got a, a fair bit of exposure over just them little videos so I just kept doing them and I don't know I'll think of something funny and just take the piss a little bit I don't know being Australian it's pretty easy to see the lighter <laughs> side of everything yeah. so I don't know you see something funny and you take the opportunity to record it or yeah. I guess people in triathlon are really cagey it, there's you know some extroverts out there but you know, a lot of people are really cagey about what they do and yeah. I don't know, I sort of just like to look, take the lighter side of things. I don't care about sharing stuff. If someone wants to know, you know, power or pace or heart rate or whatever, I'll give it to them. I don't care. Like, yeah. it's not going to affect my race. So, no, no. you know, the more that you can put it out there and especially if I want to turn pro, that's pretty much the name of the game now. Like, you've got to be able to generate exposure for yourself. Mm. So, for an age grouper to, you know, step up and into the pro ranks and already have a bit of a following, mm. it's a great thing for me, so... Cardboard, uh, cardboard disc wheels are the, uh, yeah, the way to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're Watch cheap. Watch out, zip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was that was a complete success. 2014, <laughs> the launch of the uh, Deadly Treadley. Deadly Treadley. We were trying to get Farris to check that bike in that year. Oh well, yeah. I had a couple of people over here who were um, sort of connected with the bike check in. We we're, were trying to actually check that into <laughs> to the bike racking. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been gold. Hey, um, so so what's the goal for the weekend? You know, you, you've obviously got, you know, the big race this weekend. It's your last race as an age grouper, but you have had some unfortunate things happen, which may be limiting. So, how do you approach the race this year in comparison to maybe previous times? Okay, so the last two years I've been over here, I've been full kind of lockdown. You know, that super serious guy who's just here, basically. Job. I want to win this race, so I need to do every single one percent to get this thing right, and that's how I've been for the last two years. So since Sunny Coast, it was literally touch and go whether I was going to be starting the race. Uh, the last, I guess, five weeks of training, it's really hard to get your head around, you know, continuing to train when you're thinking, is it even worth training for a race I'm probably not going to start? So yesterday was the first swim I've done in five weeks, and I did 800 metres. And I didn't have too much pain swimming. So as of yesterday was the first time I was like, all right, I'm starting. So because of that, I've been able to be here and be a lot more relaxed, you know, actually enjoy being in Kona, enjoy the island, you know, go out in a car and get around to some of the beaches, have a couple of beers on sunset, just a lot more relaxed than I'd usually been. Just really enjoy being here because I know I probably won't be back here for a little while. So I may as well enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the plan is to go pro next season? Next season, yeah. So regardless of what happens this year uh, it would have been really nice to have a solid crack at trying to you know take an age group world title or even go top three here mm. um, realistically with the form I've got at the moment if I could go top five I'd be really happy mm. um, you know from there on the start line to race regardless I'm not just going there to go around so even though I've had a limited prep if anyone's having an off day I'll, <laughs> I'll be there lurking in the background it's, yeah. it's as simple as that like I'm, I'm there to have a crack at racing. And how are you going to support yourself as a pro athlete? Uh, I'll keep working part-time, yeah. simple as that. Like, I don't have rich parents. I don't have you know, massive financial support or anything. I'm just going to have to continue to support myself and not make much money. And 
just do the sport I love doing. And what is the approach? You know, when you think about your kind of your race planning, you know, as you kind of make this next step to the next level, how do you kind of work it? So, you know, how do you kind of plan your season? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually having to think about that uh, while I was over here because for the last three years, it's all been like qualify for Kona mm. October. Whereas next year you go, all right, what races am I going to do? Well, I don't want to do any of like the big races. Like, you know, you're not going to do any of the regional championships mm. as a Neo Pro because that's, you know, why would you waste all this money to get towed up? Yeah. sort of thing so uh, I'd imagine I'll target a lot of races in Asia yeah. um, whether I base myself over in Asia for a couple of weeks or a couple of months at a time and pick a few races out and go alright these are the ones I want to target uh, hot races suits Australian conditions and I'd imagine this time of year this September October November the cream of the crops over in Kona um, this would be the time of the year where you'd be looking at going alright the fields are a little bit lighter uh, Asia's really hot right now. Let's let's find some races and have a crack around this time. Mm. Fantastic. Oh, go out there and kick some ass to the weekend. And, yeah, hopefully uh, you dominate even though you've had an unfortunate series of events. And we look forward to seeing your progress over the uh, being a Neo Pro. Yeah, thank you heaps, eh? Awesome, mate. Thanks for your time. And we are all go, John. We are indeed. So, we've got a very interesting guest coming up next. His name is Hector Picard, and we're going to find out his story. He's um, a para-athlete, so Hector can tell us all about what his deal is. So, welcome along to the show, and uh, tell us all about yourself, Hector. Hey, well, first, I want to thank you for having me on here. Um, uh, my name is Hector Picard. I'm born in South Florida, in Miami, and uh, got into the sport of triathlon some uh, back in 2009. Uh, this Saturday there will be 140 triathlons in the last seven years. Um, love the sport, never look back. Um, as a para-athlete, I tend to inspire people along the way as I race, um, and especially being a double arm amputee, which is uh, unique in the sport. So definitely I have fun with this uh, sport. So, so tell us the story of why you're in the position you're in right now. Yeah, uh, back on March 31st, 1992, I made contact with uh, what they call a substation transformer. I got 13,000 volts oh. electricity twice. Uh, first one hit me on my right side, went down my hip, and out my foot. And then the, uh, the second uh, dose get, hit me in my left arm, and it went out my hip. Uh, I received second and third degree burns over 40% of my body, and it forced the amputation of my entire right arm and half my left. Tell us about that, you know, because like, obviously able-bodied, normal person, and then this happens. What's, what's the transition kind of like? Obviously, there's this physical aspect, but also mentally. Talk us through both of those. It's survival mode. Uh, I mean, I had a one-year-old at the time, and, and you know, I, I couldn't just give up. I had a second chance at life, and I wanted to make the most of it. Um, you know, I could easily have given up and let myself die, but I didn't, I didn't approach it that way. I approached it as an obstacle. Um, you know, just something that, that makes my life tougher, but more interesting. So, how did, and how did the journey to get into sport happen? I mean, you said you've been triathlon since 2009, but you know, your accident was 92. What yeah. was sort of, what has happened in, in between times? Divorce. This <laughs> 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 happens after triathlon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> divorce, a uh, real bad divorce. Um, I, I was looking for a way to be competitive, to challenge myself, and, and it served as therapy. And I got into my first one, you know, just trying a brand new bike that I modified myself. I, I created a way to swim for myself. And I don't like, I'm not a runner. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but, you know, once I get to the run part after swimming with my legs and cycling with my legs, uh, it's kind of tough. But I, I, I just got hooked. I did my first triathlon, um, you know, in 2009, and I just never looked back. You know, I enjoy it. Now, you said you came over here last year and you weren't able to complete the race. Have you, have you completed an Ironman elsewhere? Yeah, I am. I'm actually the first um, uh, individual to complete an Ironman without hands. Mm. I did uh, New York City back in uh, 2012, oh, wow. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've done the Ironman distance uh, three times after that. I've done four of them. So um, Kona last year was hot. It was one of the hottest, and I, from what I hear, 15 years. And um, I anticipated having issues because most of my, my third-degree burns are on my torso. I don't cool off like regular, oh, regular course, people. Yeah. So once I got to Javi, I, I was overheating. And I didn't spend enough time in transit, you know, over there at the halfway to cool off. There wasn't any shade along the course. It was, it's, a t- it was, it's a really tough course. And um, I just overheated at mile 80, and uh, they took me off the course. I just uh, wasn't able to recover at that point. So, so when you're having your race day, particularly in hot conditions, is there a strategy around how you are going to – like, is there moments where you have to stop because, you, you know, because of the burns and stuff like that? And, and how, tell us about how you will do the race strategy. Um, this time, um, so last time I stopped at every water station, had them pour water over, over my helmet and over my body. This time, I'm going to take my helmet off, have them pour it directly on my head. Spend a minute or two in each, each water station, keep going. At the halfway point, I'm going to get a, um, one of those thermal blankets that the marathon runners have. Mm-hmm. Open it up, lay in it, have them just dump water and ice on me. Stay there about 10 minutes, and that will definitely uh, lower my, body, uh, my core temperature. Is it, is it quite shocking? It's shocking, but you know, I definitely need I'm like a new man at that point, really? and uh, it will help me recover. Yeah. Okay. So, so the big question is swimming. So, so you, you know, one arm's gone. The other half is kind of a half gone. So, so how did you learn to swim, and what's your swimming like? Um, I just, you know, yeah, I, I thought, okay, let me float because it's really hard to swim on my on my on my belly um, because I, I can't keep it keep it in that position. So I swim on my back, and it's a uh, reverse breaststroke kick. So as I'm looking up or looking behind, I'm, I'm just kicking like if I'm doing a breaststroke. And uh, it's it's gone pretty good. Uh, last year I did 153. I'm hoping to do 140 um, oh, wow. on Saturday. So the people who you're passing, does it do they? You know, <laughs> <laughs> they always think I need help. You know, the oh, really? need. I, no, you okay? No, yeah. It's, this is the way I swim. <laughs> I wave my stump in the air, and, and this is the way I swim. Um, yeah, people are shocked. You know, you know this this race is different. These are the best athletes in the world. So I'm gonna get my ass kicked yeah. all throughout. But um, you know, when I do a regular race, I'll end up beating 50% of the athletes in the water. And then the cycling is is my strongest event. And then the running, I go back down to uh, the bottom half. But in the swim, do you need to be concerned about others around you? Or, you know, because like, you know most most triathlons is a bit of a bit of a beat up, really. And yeah. so, so how do you approach that? And is that not even a problem? Uh, there, there's a, a couple issues when I swim. Um, you know, if they're swimming close to me, my quick my kick is wide. So I'm always afraid of kicking people in the face and all. So I have to control that. If I'm in a big group, I'll turn sideways and do a flutter kick. And that's how I'll get through that. Uh, But my thing is to try to find open space and just find my stroke. And once I get my stroke, I, I pick up speed. Um, this race, I remember last year, I went, you know, the third wave with the men. And then all of a sudden, I see the sea of orange caps. I mean, I'm oh. sorry, pink caps yeah. coming at me. And these are the women. And they are aggressive. And they, they don't care if I'm in the way. Yeah. They're going to swim right over me. So I, I kept zigzagging. 
which I'm go- not going to do this. Time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm avoiding them. Uh, uh, so I'm going to try to stay on the outside and try to, you know, straight shot. And then, you know, if I'm in a group, I got to hold my own space. You know, don't get too close because I may kick you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you wear an arm now yeah. on, on the half arm. It's pretty awesome because you've got kind of this movable hand. Yeah. Was there an option of using that as an athlete? Um, it's not. You can't use it in the water because it can't get wet. And once on the bike, the hand can actually fall off. So the fastest I've gone on a bike, believe it or not, is 55 miles per hour down a, a, a mountain. And, you know, if the hand falls off, it's a bad thing. Yeah. So I learned how to ride it without it. Uh, I, I depend on my arm. I, I rely on my arm, but I, I can't depend on this arm. Um, and then the run, it'll throw me off if I decided to run with it. I use it to set up transition sometimes a little bit. Other than that, I don't use it at all. And we've recently had the Paralympics, and we're we're from in New Zealand. It was uh, had some really good exposure. Has that ever been a path you've wanted to try to go down in terms of the short course um, route? Because I think it was the first time they've had triathlon there. Um, I, um, you know, I, I my my priorities are in a, in a different avenue. I'm more about fundraising and and, and doing things like that. Um, I think I started late in the sport, and there's a lot of young people out there, so I, I leave it up to them. Yeah. I, I I ran into a young lady yesterday. Uh, we're doing a ride. And she goes to me, um, oh, those uh, Paralympians are amazing. And I go, yeah, you know, people have asked me, why, why aren't you a Paralympic, uh, Paralympian? And I say, well, I'm too old. And she goes, yeah, you're, too, you're a little old. <laughs> I go, well, thank you. you know, Thanks a lot. I needed that. Backhand <laughs> <laughs> a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, she still was impressed by what I was doing, so it was cool. What are some of, maybe some of the obvious challenges that you have to face that maybe other athletes don't that aren't so obvious? Um, just um, the position I'm in on the bike. I'm an aero bar the whole time. So uh, it took till last year where I created a chest rest that I'm able to uh, hook on to the uh, handlebars and I'm able to rest my, my body on it. So it saves my lower back and my shoulder. Early on, I, ha- I would have to stop every 20, 30 miles just to stretch because of the pain. Um, you know, I've gone across the country twice in, in a, on a bicycle and, and that, that put, you know, pushed me to the limit. Um, but now I can stay on the bike for, for a long time. Wow. long time so it works out you, you guys ever seen the uh changing the bike flat without hands video yes. no oh, i haven't seen that yeah that's me <laughs> that's me yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's over 50 million that. views uh on social media so it's, it's pretty pretty wow. cool no, i have seen that so um what's your mission you know you, you 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 know if you if you it was all about you it probably would be going to the olympics and getting gold medals and stuff but you sort of alluded to fundraising and stuff so what's what, what are you what are you trying to get out of all this uh you know, and I, I put it simply, I want to be a hero to kids with disabilities. I want them to look at me and, and hopefully say, um, you know, I want to be like him or I want to do what he does. Uh, this year I'm doing an event called uh, Racing for Two Champions, hashtag Racing for Two Champions, where I every race that I've done this year, I've done 25-plus uh, races. Each one is dedicated to a different child from a place called the Broward Children's Center, from where I'm at. And uh, what I do is I wear their picture throughout the race and the swim, the bike, and the run. And I get my medal. At the end, uh, a couple days later, I do a medal ceremony where I present that medal to the child. So this year I have no medals to show for all the work that I've done. But it's been the most rewarding year of all. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm doing on Saturday, I'm going to wear the names of all the kids I raced for this year on my sleeve. And I'm going to donate this Ironman medal to the center. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm passionate about. What about in terms of training and stuff? You know, how much training do you do? Uh, I've been working with a new coach. Uh, with uh, it's called his name is Rick uh, Slifkin uh, down in Boca Raton, Florida, and uh, he's been great. Um, 
uh, we're doing a lot of CompuTrainer. Uh, it's getting dangerous as heck to, to ride down in South Florida. So I'm just uh, being able to uh, work on a, with a power meter, which I never did. Mm. So this race, I'm working with a power meter, and, and uh, I mean, I, I feel a lot stronger. And it's been working with him uh, for the last six months. Uh, you know, you 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 feel you know you have this. You know, when we think about triathlon, uh, it seems to have been a really good sport for disabled athletes. Why do you think that is the case? Um, it's an individual sport. It's something where we can modify equipment to make it work. You got the hand cyclist. You got you know you got the legs, the arms, everything. There's a lot of equipment there to to to, and it's very rewarding. I mean, to go out there and be on the same playing field, same level as most of these athletes. It's pretty cool. I mean, I'm I'm going to be racing with the best athletes in the world. Yeah. That's that's I mean that's an amazing. That's in, incredible, yeah. and I'm going to enjoy every second of that race. Even it's, it takes me 15, 16 hours yeah. to you finish. Get to enjoy more of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited. And who inspires you? You know, like it's, it's funny. I always think you know there are people who are in this world who kind of touch others, and you've really used this experience in your life to to do something powerful. Um, but you know, we all need inspiration as well. So who inspires you? I don't think it's not one person. I mean, I always talk about my role model was my mother. I mean, she I saw her sacrifice without the help of my dad to, to give us a good life, my brothers and I. Uh, but I, I'm inspired by the uh, overweight athlete. The uh, the um, I have um, a little person, uh, a friend who just uh, completed Ironman Maryland. Wow. Uh, I mean, inspired by people like that. These are these are friends of mine and and, and people that I meet along the way that just inspire me every day. Yeah, that's so. pretty cool. And so if people want to sort of follow what you're doing and, and support what you're doing, what's, what's the avenues for them to go down? Uh, my website is don'tstopliving.org. Uh, we have to update it. Uh, my brother is actually has to work on it. <laughs> we have 2.0. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the hashtag Racing for Two Champions will have all the latest stuff that I'm doing. And the Broward Children's Center, bccskids.org, is the uh, charity that I've been racing for. And um, there's a lot of information there. And on Facebook, they can follow me on Facebook, uh, Hector Picard. I know there's one other, well, I've seen there's another lady racing, an uh, Australian lady yeah. who's had major, major burns all over her body. Are, th- are there many other para-athletes racing um, this year? There are. Um, there's a father and son. They're, they're doing uh, the, the kind of the Rick Hoyt thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the young man has a, a cerebral palsy. He's going to walk the last mile. Oh, so wow. that's gonna be that's gonna be emotional. Yes, I, mean, I can imagine. Already, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, John Agar. Uh, I just I heard this story. I've been following him on Facebook. Uh, pretty amazing. I heard about the uh, the young lady from Australia. That's an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, to see what she went through, but uh, yeah, there's some me, amazing. Can you tell people. us about the pain of burns? You know, because it's, it's really interesting. Isn't it? We do a sport where we chase pain, don't we? You know, like yeah. you know, that's almost the appeal of what we do is that kind of test of pain, but. You know, to, it's nothing in comparison to burns. So, can you talk to us a little bit about that? It, it's it's uh, especially those first uh, weeks where they're debriding it and they're peeling skin off. And I had I had actual skin grafts put on on the burns to grow new skin. I mean, it's it's painful. Um, first thirty days, I was in a coma induced by the doctors because really? of the so pain. They work on you. Yeah, it was just unbelievable pain. So I don't remember that that time, but. The first couple of weeks after, whoa, I, I, it was it was painful. They had me in hot tubs and they start removing skin. I mean, it's, it's it's pretty dramatic. No, no, there's a guy called Dan Ariely who's quite a famous author, and he had burns as a kid, um, and he talks about how it actually taught him a really high level of pain. You know that when he does tests in comparison to other people, he has this tolerance because basically he had burns as a kid and he, it was built into him. 
do you think you gained a level of tolerance, you know, because of that? Yeah. Um, I had a gallbladder um, um, surgery years ago, and, and they said, how, how do you tolerate the pain this whole time? It took a long time to get there. It's just, I, th- I thought it was just a stomach ache. Really? Uh, yeah, the pain, I have a high pain uh, threshold, so... But, you know, that could be a bad thing, too. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, you have to manage yourself in the race like that. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, you're a bloody legend, mate. Yeah. You're a bloody yeah. legend. We look forward <laughs> to, uh, to seeing how you go out there on race day, and uh, we'll hopefully be there to sort of greet you somewhere after the finish line. And, um, guys, if you want to follow Hector as progress, uh, it is don'tstopliving.org. Love you, mate. Good luck. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Rodeo, Rodeo Jumbo, we are on... Lining up the age groupers today. That's right. And we want to get some nice Just balance as important. in there. It is. Just as important. And we've yeah. got uh, Cam Hanson, family man. I think you've been on the show before, haven't you, Cam? Uh, I had a few comments, but not uh, no uh, no interviews. Sit down in front of a mic. Not a sit you down know? on debut. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really, really uh, feel like I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your journey to get to Kona this year. Uh, the journey this year was. Um, uh, well, I'd, I'd entered Melbourne, and then that got canned. Um, and then uh, the next best, closest option was Taupo. And uh, being a Kiwi living in Aussie, that uh, definitely looked attractive. So, um, yeah, took the Taupo option. Um, went over there uh, pretty cooked. Um, probably two weeks out, I knew that I was, uh, had dug a pretty deep hole. Um, but sort of trusted in what John and I put together <laughs> and thought that um, you know I'm, I'm fitter and stronger than I have been in the past and the numbers I'm pushing and training are, are higher so you know believe in the process and um, and uh, you know you come right in the week going into the race but there are probably two or three key sessions in those last two weeks I remember getting off the trainer one day and saying to Holly oh, I think I've just dug the hole a little bit too deep and uh, the week before yeah sort of felt felt a bit flat and then um, you know you come right a couple of days out we obviously had uh, great conditions um, road sort of at the upper upper end of the power numbers on the bike but got off thinking uh, feeling good and by 4k as I was walking my legs had blown to pieces and um, I think I probably came off the bike first in my age group and figured that if I just kept moving um, I'd hopefully get a Kona spot so um, made a decision pretty early on to to walk all the hills, walk the walk the aid stations, and just try and keep moving, and gave up looking at the Garmin. Thought I was going to be running a four-hour marathon at one stage, but um, managed to salvage, I think, a 3:18, and I went around in like 9:14 or something and finished third. So had um, yeah, sort of got over that. I'd had a chronic sinus infection for about nine months that um, I was having surgery on a month after the race, so I knew that was coming up, but I'd. That was affecting my sleep and my recovery and I'd been on you know, a course of antibiotics every month. Um, I'd have a couple of hard days training or the kids would be up in the night and two days later I'd have you know, green snot and sinus infection flared up. And so I had surgery on that uh, April and then gave that about a month to settle down and then did the build up for here. And been a been a pretty big year, had uh, 70.3 worlds uh, five weeks ago and then um, yeah, recover from that, and then uh, a couple of hard weeks, and then back here. So, just just taking a step back with Melbourne. What was the feel like in Australia with Melbourne this year? With, with, with kind of what with the whole thing that happened with Melbourne? Um, yeah, look, I think uh, Ironman probably did what they what they could, um, but you know, at the end of the day, Formula One's got so much money that they just um, you know 
they do what they want to do and us being a small sport probably uh, didn't get the support um, and they had no choice so I think the athletes um, yeah look they gave everyone they communicated pretty well they gave everyone options um, I think a few of the Kiwi athletes probably got shafted out of it because they're the kind of qualifiers and Taupo probably half of them were Aussies so mm-hmm. um, yeah probably a few of the Kiwis may not have been so happy about it. And what's the feel about the race now being in Kins? Uh, yeah, look, I think um, after doing Taupo, the atmosphere there is awesome. Um, I think big city race, split transition, um, the f- atmosphere at the finish towards the end of the run was good, but compared to Taupo, you know, it didn't have a touch on it really. So, um, yeah, I- I'm not too sure what most of the Aussie athletes think, but, um, you know, th- there's other options there. It's not like it's the only race. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the thing with Cairns is it's close to here, though. You know, time-wise, it's pretty hard to have a good Cairns, recover, and then do a decent build-up for here. Mm, mm, yeah. So things have changed a little bit um, between the build-up for Taupo and the build-up for this race. So I know the answer to this, but uh, what, have, what have you sort of changed with your training leading into this one um, as opposed to you know, being a little bit smoked going into Taupo? Yeah, so I think um, recovery's been key. So um, sleep uh, is you know your biggest factor for recovery. You can do all the other... You know, 1% is right, but if you're not getting the sleep, then you're going to struggle. So I've definitely put more focus on that. Uh, I think, um, you know, having the sinus surgery and getting that sorted out has made a big difference. Um, and just being smarter with what I do. Um, I've, I haven't, the volume's definitely been down, um, but the quality and the execution in the session, in the, in the key sessions, has definitely been a lot better. Uh, I've used other factors, like started keeping a closer tab on training stress balance and training peaks. Um, and being a physio and having a pretty good insight to the sports science side of it um, and correlating those numbers with how I feel um, has made a big difference. Um, so I think they're probably the main things, quality over quantity. You know, it's probably gone from average of, say, 19 to 21 hours in the last 12 weeks, probably down to, you know, 16 to 18, maybe 19, but the, the, the quality's been higher, so I think... Um, that's made a difference. How do you find, you know, because it is that kind of common old school thinking where it's just time is the answer. And it definitely seems to be a kind of a shift in philosophy in the last period of time, especially with good tools around, you know, quality is, is actually probably more important than just time. Um, but it's a different kind of training as well. So how did you find the change in training for you? Yeah, look, I think um, there's a couple of things there. Some of it's to do... Uh, as you progress as an athlete, you you probably don't need to do you know when you when you get into the sport and you say first three four five years, you there's a tendency to do the volume because you feel you need to, and then once you've kind of got that base, I think you get better at training, so you get better at executing within a session. Whereas I used to struggle to go and do a long ride with some structure in it. Um, you know, mentally and physically whereas now I feel I can do that and execute the session better so I think um, some of it's uh, you know just athletic maturity um, I think technology also helps you know the, the technology available to age groupers is you know pretty much the same as what the pros have got um, so I think the gap you know it's one reason why we've probably seen some really fast age group times is, is, is the technology and the and the knowledge is there um, to make use of you know, at, at the same level as what a lot of the pros have got. So, um, mm. yeah, look, I think you've got to be smart about what you do. Um, you know, it's a combination of hard work and, and being smart. So, 
One, one thing that you do quite well is uh, you print off your schedule each week and discuss it with your wife and make sure all is, under, all is, all is communicated and, uh, and you have a, almost have a binding contract that you're able, you've got permission to do that training. Holly might have a slightly different view on that <laughs> at times, especially the last few weeks. But um, yeah, look, it's uh, um, you know it's an individual sport, but it's a massive team event. You know, we're over here with uh, Oscar and Coco, our two kids who are um, two and a half and four and a half, and Holly and my mum and dad are here. So um, you know, it's a team effort, um, and you know, there's a lot of buy-in uh, from family, and you know, communications the, the key thing. Um, and when you're tired and ragged and but rough around the edges from the training that's probably the first thing that goes is communication and that's when um you know it can get hard i think if you're not if things aren't going well at home then you know the sport's too hard to um you know the training's hard enough by itself so you know you need to make sure that it fits in with uh lifestyle and family and you've got the support and 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 all that sort of thing and yeah good communication you know putting the putting the printing printing out training peaks and sticking that on the fridge and you know, having structure there, but also being uh, happy to move it as needed. I think um, I, when I raced Kona 2013, I pretty much would have executed every every session uh, leading into it every week as it was planned with one child, I think. Uh, and then since then, we've had another. And I'd be lucky if there's one week's gone by where I haven't had to, to juggle things around. So, you know, being flexible with it's um, key as well. So, but with it, you know, so, so one thing you and your partner are doing really well is the kind of the communication of our life together while I'm doing this sport. Um, how do you make sure you have the energy? Because I know when I, like my daughter was young when I was a triathlete, and, uh, and be, you know, when I, when I finished Ironman, I wrote kind of a goodbye to Ironman letter. And one thing was I wrote is that you know that when we used to watch, to my daughter, I said, you know that watching a DVD basically meant Dad was falling asleep while you watched a DVD. And there's this kind of how do I make sure I still have the energy for my kids because it is such an energy sapping sport so it's one thing to say I'm going to be there but actually also make sure I am present if you know what I mean yeah yeah look I think you've got to make that decision you've got to realise you're going to be fatigued and you've got to accept it and you've got to um, you know my strategy is I put that fatigue in a box when I step in the door and do my best not to um you know, not not to, to be present and involved. You can't certainly can't come home and crash out on the couch and fall asleep, you know, mm. that sort of thing just doesn't happen. Um, so I think you know you've got to make an effort to, to make that happen. Um, you know, again, good planning, having, you know, John will put in, make sure once a month they have a wife day, you know, a Sunday that's complete non-triathlon, you know, no bike maintenance, nothing, just um, whole day with the kids and family. Um, so, you know, it's, you, you got to make it a, you, you got to make it work, um, which is hard at times, but, um, you know, also depends on your life situation. We, we run our own physio practice and we're our, our own bosses. So there's yep. different flexibility there. You know, I have the kids, uh, two nights a week when Holly works late. So I get some good, um, quality time with the kids then, um, you know, drop them off to childcare in the mornings and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think it would be hard if you're, if you're, you know, doing the office, you know, eight till five, eight till six, daily grind, and you don't have flexibility, that would definitely uh, make things tight. But um, yeah. And probably the final one would be, you know, you, you've uh, got a, had a curveball the last two weeks. Um, we've been injured, haven't been able to run, and going into the race, uh, not really knowing what the hell is going to happen. So, how has that been on the head? Yeah, look, it's hard. Um, I think two weeks ago uh, I lost the plot mentally a little bit. You know, it's you, you, you want to deliver to the best you can 
you, you put all the work in and you want to be able to go out there and race and you know racing at the end of the day on a personal level when you're on the course it's probably about how you deal with that moment when you you know when there's going to be a point usually on the run somewhere where you're going to struggle and you're going to have to dig deep and it's about how you front up to that situation and how you deliver and how you overcome it and that's probably you know if you boil down an Ironman it's that at some point there's going to be that test and you kind of all the people that support you and help you you want to be able to deliver on the day to you know to to honor all the effort they've put in I think that's probably been quite hard as thinking that I may not be able to do that mm-hmm. um so yeah look three weeks out I had a had a, had a sore knee running um didn't get a lot better got my last long run in uh which was good and then the next run after that a couple of days later uh wasn't great so I'd booked an MRI and had a um, an old meniscal tear that had, uh, I didn't even know I'd had that had, that had flared up um, and there's some swelling in the bone below it which is pretty normal for a meniscal tear. So I uh, made the decision, I uh, had a good look at the MRI with the radiologist and made a decision that I wouldn't run until race day. The meniscus probably isn't the issue, it's the swelling in the bone underneath. Had uh, 12 mils of fluid drained off it the day before we flew out and a cortisone in there. Two weeks ago, or two weeks from the race, I was struggling to walk on it. Uh, cortisone's made a big difference. I've been on a religious diet of anti-inflammatories, ice, um, loads of calf raises and hopping on the right leg to try and keep some conditioning in the lower limbs. Um, and look, I'll definitely start the run now. It feels a hell of a lot better. My gut feeling is that I'll probably be able to finish, um, but, you know, it'll be a bit yeah. of be roll, yeah. the, roll the dice. But... Um, yeah, look, we'll just deal with it as it comes. I, I certainly won't do anything silly to uh, endanger the knee, but, um, you know, if it's a bit uncomfortable and I can run on it, then so be it. So, so just, you know, it's not the race you were hoping to have, um, and it's going to very much be a management kind of race, and well, fingers crossed it's not, but what is success now then? Ah, that's a hard one. Yeah, look, I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to swim... Um, you know, hopefully uh, under the hour. I swam 59 here last time. I'm probably swimming a minute or two quicker. Um, rode 4.57, so I'm certainly not going to go and smash the bike. I'm going to ride planning to run. Um, so, you know, give or take. Uh, around five hours or just under. And then, um, yeah, look, it's the, the hard bit is, you know, what do you do mentally when um, if you get off and you're sore, you know, you just got to, take it for what it is I think you know perspective helps you know the kids uh, once you cross the line or if you don't cross the line 10 minutes later the kids um, they won't give a monkeys you know they'll be wanting an ice cream and a swim and that sort of thing so I think um, having a full life with plenty of other things going on as disappointing it is you certainly don't get to uh, but you know buried in it it is what it is and um, look gut feeling is that it'll be okay but if it isn't then you know you just got to accept it and move on. And for the for Sydney Siders, a um, little plug for the business. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm um, yet Square One Physio and Mossman, um, Holly run by Holly and myself. We uh, got about ten physios between the two locations at the moment. Um, so you know, busy expanding practice, um, rehab and Pilates service. Uh, we look after uh, some local uh, Shoot Shield rugby clubs. Uh, the National Rugby Championship, uh, we supply the physio services for that. I've just finished five years with the Junior Wallabies, so done the last five under-20 World Cups with them. Um, so, you know, that, that's also helped uh, with my triathlon uh, to a certain extent. You know, it gives you good insight into elite sport from another angle. Mm. So, um, 
Yeah, that's us. See lots of triathletes, Belmont Tri Club. We um, uh, look after the end sponsor of the club and uh, see a lot of athletes through the clinic. So, um, yeah, if you're a Sydney triathlete and you need physio services, then come and see us. Fantastic. Oh, go out there and kick some ass yep. and uh, fingers crossed for the run. <laughs> yeah, All right, cheers, fellas. Awesome, Thanks. Mate. Thank you. And course, Kakulu. Bye bye, Danke. Thank you very much. On behalf of the people of South Africa, I'll try to stay calm and uh, be professional and continue. Thank you very much, Andrew Messick, CEO of Ironman. Ladies and gentlemen, they refer to this as the big dance on the big island. It's that one day of the year that these amazing professional athletes work so hard towards, and it's a privilege to be able to chat with them here in front of you today. I'd like to start with our ladies. We'd like to start on the end in the blue sport for good cap, representing Finland, I'd like to welcome Kaisa Letunen for the very first time to the Big Island. Thanks, Paul. Kaisa, you're here because of you win it, you're in it. A fantastic win at the Ironman African Championship in Nelson Mandela Bay in April this year. It was a brilliant victory on your part, but it was almost a surprising victory as you came down the finish line. You burst into tears, uh, and, and in a sense, Obviously, a huge dream come true, but a dream that started when you were 12 years old on your pink mountain bike. Yeah, that's when my dream about this corner race started. I heard about this race from my father when I was like 12, and I just immediately thought that this is something I want to do. This will be so cool. I didn't get permission to do the whole thing because I was too young, they said. I don't know why. But on one beautiful day, I took my pink little mountain bike, went out for a ride, and ended up doing that whole 180 case. So <laughs> it was quite insane at that age, but I think I still remember the moment after that ride. I felt that triathlon is something that will give so much joy into my life. And if I try my very, very best every single day on some beautiful day, I might be racing here in Hawaii, in Kona, with the best triathletes in the world. And now I'm here, so, whoa, <laughs> it's quite exciting. <laughs> of course, the Finnish are known for their understatement. Uh, <laughs> Kaiser, it's, it's been a, a pretty good, you, you ended off 2015 with that great battle with Yvonne van Flecken at uh, the Ironman Barcelona. Uh, that set you up nicely when you arrived in South Africa. 2016's been pretty good to you as well in Dubai, as well as at the Ironman 70.3 European Championship in Wiesbaden. I presume, though, subsequent to that, you've been acclimatizing to the heat. Where have you been doing your training? Uh, we were in Mallorca for a few weeks before coming in here. And then in Finland, I've tried to go to the heat by doing some indoor bike sessions in hot yoga studio. And actually, before coming in here, I thought that this would be a lot worse than, than it is. I, I may say that uh, riding in that hot yoga studio in 40 degrees and very humid room, it was a lot more terrible than this one. So, <laughs> yeah. You'll have a little bit more company on Saturday, I can promise you that. And if, not, if Kona doesn't turn up the heat, these ladies to your right certainly will. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Finland's Kaisa Lettuna. Thank you. Once we've chatted with all the ladies, we will open up the floor to you for questions. I'd like you to please hand the microphone, representing the United States of America, Heather Jackson. Hi, Bob. 
And there's somewhat of a, a 70.3 specialist, so to speak, especially looking at your very, very long list of results. A great fifth place here on the Big Island you've had already. Um, but it was interesting to see that, that part of your inspiration was Natasha Batman, who's actually racing here on a wild card as she celebrates her final professional race. Just talk to me about, about Natasha as your inspiration. Yes, I mean, when I first got into the sport, um, I had never really swam before, and it's been the biggest, uh, biggest, you know, thing I've been working on my entire career in triathlon the past seven or eight years. So yeah, someone like Natasha, who had won Kona, someone like Heather Fuhrer, someone that maybe hadn't been in that front swim pack, give give hope to weaker swimmers around the world. So, and just how she rides and races, and she's always smiling and so so nice and so polite and just embraces the island and so yeah she's she's always been kind of one of my idols in this sport so it's amazing that she's here I saw the announcement she'll be towing the line with us and that's such a huge honor for people who came into the sport with idols like that indeed it is Heather just looking at 2016 so far it's been a great year I think it's been uh, three wins and a third including the win at Lake Placid feeling well set up for the big battle on Saturday yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been this year has been about this coming Saturday, and so I've tried to set myself up as best I can coming in here, um, prepped for this day. So Placid was huge for me. Um, it was a great run through, um, and I drew, was able to draw a lot of confidence from just the training in the year, and I recovered and and have just been focused on Saturday. So yeah, I'm excited, excited to race, and so grateful to be here, and just to even be able to toe the line and and yeah, start on Saturday. Representing the Stars and Stripes, I mean, you know, the, the Aussies and the Europeans have been dominating far too long. Surely, Heather Jackson, put your hand up, let's go. <laughs> Thank you so much, Father. Yeah. Lovely stuff, Heather Jackson, ladies and gentlemen, USMA. We handed across to representing Australia, Mel Halschultz. It's been a superb 2016. To, to think about it after some some challenging injury related issues uh, congratulations on the great win in frankfurt the european championship and becoming the first person to do the double in europe winning 70.3 as well and and an unbelievable run as you were hunting down holly lawrence in malulubar and i think if there were a couple more meters we might have seen you side by side across the finish line yeah i think they missed me coming across the finish line <laughs> i think they thought i was still a few minutes back um but yeah, it was it was a close one. Um, hopefully on Saturday, a bit longer run, I, I can get there. You know, you know, stranger to becoming a world champion. Um, obviously, the big one is the big title. It is, you know, coming down a lead drive and Mike Riley going, "You are an Ironman world champion." Um, everything has gone well towards that goal so far. Yeah, this year's been really good. Um, Obviously, coming here the last two years with my name on the start list and, and not being able to start was tough. So um, I think that's really given me the, the drive this year to um, get there fit and healthy. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really hungry for that win. And I would imagine a huge amount of support because we might be in Hawaii, but Australia, the second biggest nation. And, and Di Birch even brought an Australian to the hot corner to shout for you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, no, the Aussies um, love their heat and humidity. I think that's why they do so well here. And um, yeah, this place is, you know, it's just like home to me. Um, beautiful beaches and, and awesome weather. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Australia's Mel Helschild. Best of luck for Saturday. <laughs> Julia Geyer, Germany, qualified with the great win in Texas at the uh, North American Championship. 
Julia, you know, we've had German Ironman world champions, but usually on this side of the table. How about on that side of the table on Saturday? Would be a great idea. <laughs> Again, never one for uh, understatement. Julia, uh, it's gone reasonably well. You said that the season started well, but then the middle hasn't been so great, but it's been a good build-up now. Uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, you kind of mimicked your build-up when you had your other great results on the Big Island. Right. Um, I was really frustrated after my DNF last year, but um, yeah, in the end I took a lot of new strengths out of it and um, we, we changed the build-up for Kona this year. I, I didn't do uh, one of the big German races like Frankfurt, but um, focused on qualifying early in Texas. And then um, from July on, I, I could just focus on my build-up to Kona, and yeah, it worked really well so far. Quite dangerous words there, deciding to skip the race in Germany. I know for the German athletes, especially the German media, they're all in Frankfurt. That's where your sponsors and you can get uh, the media that you require. But that's a very, very big decision, decide to skip the home races. Yeah, that's true. I absolutely uh, love racing at home. The home crowds are just just amazing and there are so many people and family that cheer you on and it was quite hard but um, I, de I decided to race Texas again because um, I also like that race. I raced there in 2014 and the course is great and we, we had a really nice homestay there that made us like feel at home so the race was great as well. Hopefully you're feeling at a home here on the Big Island, Germany's Julia Geier, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks. Okay, sir. You could just look here for a second. Thank you. Australia's Marina Carfrey, three-time Ironman world champion, no introduction required. Rennie, last year, obviously, less than optimal desired result with the DNF. But often what this does is this refocuses an athlete and re-motivates an athlete and then you decided to do an early season race in Europe, a fantastic result at Ironman Austria in Klagenfurt. And you said then that your primary goal there was the sub-250 marathon, and you did 2.49 in some seconds. So the numbers were looking good then already. Yeah, I just snuck under the 2.50 in Austria, but again, that's a very fast course. And um, yeah, I mean, I was happy to get that split there, but I'd love to see those numbers here in Kona, to be honest. I would imagine, in a way, it's a bit of a revenge race, really. You know, oh, come on, I didn't get to race last year, so I'm going to go twice as fast this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my plan. I'm going to go twice as fast as I did in 14. I'll be done in four and a half hours, no problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love to cut half the course, but never mind that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I've had two years of preparation for this, this race now, not getting to race here last year. Um, that's one year of not um, absolutely emptying the tank here in Kona, and I think um, that'll serve me well on Sunday. Uh, this is my eighth time racing here in Kona, so having a year off while at the time was really disappointing and really hard to you know, make that decision halfway through the bike ride. Um, I think it was a blessing in disguise, and this year I've been able to let uh, Daniela take um, most of the limelight and um, go under the radar and focus on myself. and. Um, focus on my training to try to get here in, in peak shape. Rini, talking about peak shape, is actually has, I mean, despite over and above the win in Austria, it's been quite a few podiums for you in 70.3 racing as well. So uh, the confidence must be high. Uh, honestly, uh, I, I don't think 
any other race really compares to this one. Yeah, I mean, I had a decent second half to, of the year this year. The training looks good, but honestly, any can, anything can happen out there on Sunday. And you know, while you, you do have a little bit of confidence, um, you're still unsure as to if the body's going to show up and um, what's it going to give you on Saturday. Um, we've done the work now, and now it's just time to wait and see what happens and, and see what these girls uh, throw out um, out there as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Australia's Marinda Carfrey. Representing Switzerland, our defending Ironman world champion, Daniela Rief. Welcome back, Daniela. Um, Rennie was alluding to the fact that she quite enjoyed the fact that all the attention was on you and she could focus just on herself. Um, becoming an Ironman world champion does bring with it a lot of attention, which possibly could be a lot of distraction as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was uh, amazing what I could experience after Kona last year and especially after the Triple Crown. It was an amazing year, 2.15 for me and definitely needed a bit of time to get used to that attention, that's true. And um, finishing uni as well till June, um, that was quite a lot to handle everything. But um, yeah, the last, pretty much the last four or five months has been getting more and more quiet and so now I could really get back to what I really want to and also need to and um, that's training and I think yeah the last few months have been a good build-up so I'm I'm happy with where I'm at and also yeah coming building up the season with Rolf and Zurich was um, yeah it was quite phenomenal. Back-to-back -back iron distance races sub nine both of them but I want to now move forward to just a few weeks ago in Melulaba the Ironman 70.3 world championship on the Sunshine Coast um, you were tipped as favourite, obviously being the defending champion. It didn't quite go according to plan. Um, is that just a clever poker move on your part? Yeah, I just thought I'll, <laughs> I'll go a bit slower and no, no, that's uh, I would never do that. Um, I gave it, I gave my best on that day, and it was a day not to forget because it was a day I actually learned more than. Maybe last year he when I won. You know, it's often from the from the days they not, don't go perfect. And one thing I really take away from that race is that even whatever happens on the bike, um, because there I tried to push and I couldn't get away. Um, I didn't really think you can win a race in the run because so far I never had to, and that was a big mistake. I just uh, kind of in my head gave up a bit and. Yeah, I definitely never gonna do that again, and definitely gonna do it on sa Saturday. So um, whatever happens on the bike, I believe I can also run well, and um, yeah, I'm ready for the for to fight for it. And a credible fight it will be, a spectacle of swim, bike, and run at the 38th Ironman World Championship. Thank you very much, Daniela Reeves, Switzerland. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, I'll remind you that as soon as we're done with our athletes, we will give you a chance to get your one-on-one -on -one questions with them. We turn our attention to the men, and on the very far, far side, I think we've got Andy Potts has joined us. Good morning and a massive welcome to representing Australia, uh, right under the speaker, unfortunately, Andy, but I'm sure we'll make a plan. Uh, Andy, representing the United States of America, sorry, uh, it was Tim that I was going to chat to first, representing the US of A, Andy Potts. Andy... Yes. <laughs> that was the right answer. Typically, people talk about, you know, the swim and first out the water and the crowds go crazy, but there's so much more to an Ironman, as you know better than the rest of us. 
that it's not about the swim. There's a bike and a run still to come. And uh, looking at your resume, um, we actually ran out of paper in the press office printing out all your victories and all your accolades so far. But the Big Island is, is, is very, very special for you and it's, it, it always brings out the best in you. I've been here a few times um, and I, I keep messing up something on the day and that keeps me coming back uh, with a new, fresh mindset. Uh, you realize every race is different from the last, no matter if it's the same players on the race day and the same course. Um, you know, you're bound to have bad spots and good good moments. And um, yeah, I keep learning, and I'm getting better. So as as long as I can be uh, engaged mentally with regards to um, being excited to learn, being really interested in seeing how how I can improve and try to trying to stay ahead of the, the curve for sure. It is probably one of the great things about our sport is, is the multidiscipline, the fact that to, to get the perfect day where everything goes just right is always just on the horizon. And, and I would imagine after your two fourth place, you look back and went, okay, I'm gonna do this and then it's all gonna be good. But the reality is you've got another 50 guys who are also upping their game. Yeah, um, so that, that's probably one of the really, um, unique things about triathlon is um, you're constantly pushing your potential and, and seeing what you're capable of on race day and as soon as you think you're there and as soon as you think you've grasped it, it all of a sudden shifts ahead and now you've got a new potential and you've got um, a new ceiling. So you know, as soon as you think you're knocking on the door to like this is the peak, this is the pinnacle. Um, all of a sudden it shifts and it rises and, and the challenge and um, the really fun part for me as an athlete is to continue to see how high that bar can be set. Thank you very much ladies and gentlemen. The USA is Andy Potts. So just to balance it out, representing America, Tim, Fra no, representing Australia, the Berkelizer, Tim van Berkel. Tim, the uh, champion at Cairns, our Asia-Pacific champion. Uh, just before that, actually very close to that, you raced the Ironman African Championship in South Africa, had a brilliant ding-dong battle. It was a bit of an iron war on the run, but uh, you got the points early in the season, and then you've been doing some 70.3s. You've got a little bit of uh, a little bit of a scar under the chin to show how the last one went. How are you doing? Yeah, look, uh, no, I'm excited to be back here, and uh, you know, the year's been going pretty well, and uh, yeah, I had a little crash the, the day before the um, Asia Pacific 70.3 champs, which I was, I was very hungry for the double to go the Ironman Asia Pac title and the 70.3 title, but uh, a little bike accident took me out and uh, I'm hoping that's a blessing in disguise because I got a good, got a good rest and uh, managed to get a real good block in, training block in for this race. So, yeah, now I'm fresh and uh, ready to have a good crack on Saturday. The Aussies have a fantastic tradition on this island. Is, uh, is your goal to be the next Australian Ironman world champion? Oh, definitely. Oh, look, I, I dream about this race every day in training and I uh, would love to, to love, love to win this race. But, uh, you know, baby steps and, you know, I, I've still got a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, if I could uh, better my results from 2014, I'd be very happy. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to give it my all on Saturday. And if I empty the tank, I'll be very happy with that result. Ladies and gentlemen, representing Australia, your Asia Pac champion, this is Tim Van Berkel. From the US of A, Tim O'Donnell.
Good morning, Tim. Good to see you again. Welcome. Um, I think the last big race I saw yet was Ironman Frankfurt. You were supporting Rennie in, in, in Klagenfurt. Just looking at the results on the Big Island, it's been, I think, an eighth, a fifth, and a third. So those are quite big leaps. Therefore, naturally, the next leap is first. I'd like to think so. <laughs> These guys are probably going to want to say otherwise. The Big Island has always brought out the best in you. You know, you've got a huge fan base here. The, obviously, the American public absolutely adore you. It's been a very, very long time since we've had an American champion. Is this a lot of pressure, or is this just a wonderful motivator? Yeah, pressure is not a bad thing uh, if, if you take it and use that energy in the right way. And I think I've learned that over the years. I've, I've had some races like 2014 where maybe I, I didn't handle that so well, but. Uh, Definitely going in the right way. Uh, I think I'm in a different position than a lot of these guys. My Ironman effort this year was uh, less than satisfactory by any means. But, you know, uh, Mark and I have talked a lot about it. And, you know, there's kind of two things when you're a guy like myself that was, you know, right up at the front of the race and, and, and close to getting it done last year. And uh, usually, you know, either thinking, okay, well, let's just do a little bit more and that's going to get me there. And then you end up burning yourself out the next year or you get a little overconfident and uh, think, oh, hey, I got this. I was so close to the next year. I'm going to make this happen. So I think my race at Frankfurt uh, sure as hell reminded me that uh, uh, I don't have it by any, by any means. So it's definitely kept me hum uh, humble. And uh, you know, I think I maybe overdid a little bit training-wise um, before that race as well. So I've learned that lesson. Uh, took July really, really uh, slow and carefully. And I feel like I put myself in a good place now in October. Dangerous words, ladies and gentlemen, from the US of A, that is Tim O'Donnell. Best of luck for Saturday. <laughs> Representing Canada, Brent McMahon, good morning and welcome. Some uh, pretty strong lads either side of you. That just makes you want it even more, Shirley. Uh, that's, that's, that's for sure. You know, when, you're, when you've got great company, that's uh, going to get the greatest race out of yourself. An incredible race in Brazil, a course record, well under eight to 7.46. Um, you know, winning always teaches one to win. Disappointments are also something we learn from. But that was a phenomenal performance. And what have you been doing to make sure that, that you, can, you can keep the body working and produce that kind of performance right here on the Big Island? Um, yeah, I think ultimately it's it's not trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, obviously, we have had success going under eight hours three times now. So we've got a formula, my coach Lance and I, of how to go fast and be consistent. And so we're just doing the same thing and just building and being strong. And I took a mid-season break, so it doesn't feel like I'm at the end of my season. I'm still feeling fresh, and I've still got races after this that I'm excited about. Typically, people look at those fast numbers and they think, oh, wow, you know, sure, surely you're going to win Kona, no problem at all. But, but, but you're lined up with the best in the world. It it's, doesn't really become about, you know, 749 or 803. It's about the first person on a Lee drive. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're racing all the best in the world. And it's, it's about being the first across the line. And, and added to that is, is this amazing course that is so challenging and is so dynamic. It, it changes every year. So when you think you've got it figured out, the winds change or the water conditions are different. And so, so you're racing this great field, but you're, you're racing this dynamic course. So when you, you can never count on having it all sorted out. Ladies and gentlemen, Canada's Brent McMahon. Best of luck. <laughs> Two more gentlemen to chat to, and then it is your opportunity to ask the questions. Germany's Sebastian Kienle, 
2014 Ironman world champion, former 70.3 double world champion as well. Uh, Sebi, in 2014, you won the Ironman European Championship in Frankfurt, and that seemed to replicate itself really, really well here on the Big Island. In 2016, you won the Ironman European Championship in Frankfurt, and now we're back in Kana. The first question then would have been, ah, Jan wasn't there, so I'm very happy Jan is here. He likes the big stage and the big occasion. The bigger the dogs to run with, the more fun Sebi has. Sebastian, uh, at the Ironman 70.3 World Championship in Malulabar, you and Tim produced just such a wonderful spectacle for us to watch. It was an incredible race, the way you would hurt him and then he'd come back and he'd hurt but you. But Jan wasn't there. But at the moment we're talking about Sebastian Kiele. Ah, thanks. You like to win. How, how did that make you feel, being seven, eight meters behind Tim on that finish line in Melulaba? Every time uh, Tim likes something on Twitter, what I tweet, and uh, since I'm tweeting a lot of common sense lately, um, uh, all the pro athletes like that, so I always see his profile pic pop up, and um, I just want to let him know that he should not have another sprint with me anytime soon. And an Ironman 70.3 sprint for sure. I mean, it was pretty much you and Tim producing the 70.3 version of, of an Iron War. Um, what are your, how do you anticipate Saturday folding out? Or was that completely irrelevant? What comes, what comes? <laughs> um, I consider it an, a success to be here since my very first um, attempt at um, uh, the World Championship at the press conference and you, you always get to, uh, get to ask that question of course. Uh, but the answer is just like everybody else. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm fit but that doesn't mean anything. That's what I learned in the, in the past. And um, sometimes I had the thought that I'm not fit and then came out differently in the race. So um, if we have like another sort of these um, uh, finishes, probably it would be nice with another ending for me. But yeah. Seb, we have a lot of German media here. You are one of the, the darlings in Germany. Um, the German fans are massively passionate about Ironman. Um, do you find that that support it puts unnecessary pressure on you because we got a lot of Germans here everywhere we go they want to chat they want to talk to you they want a selfie yeah we have massive support but they are not camping in my backyard yet so it's um, it's a good good balance uh, of support so um, I think in the last like two three years um, also with uh, it's now I'm speaking a uh, uh, about Jan again, but he represented our sport very well in Germany. So, um, uh, but still, I like the the, the triathlon fans because they are not getting like too offensive. Except a couple of guys here that wanted to have selfies with me on the bike during I did my last intervals today. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good it's a good thing, and it's um, uh, great um, uh, that our sport is growing not only in Germany and. Um, I think to end up at the best German here would already mean something. Vielen Dank. Thank you very much. Germany's Sebastian Kienle.
Germany's Jan Frodeno. Your moment to talk about Sebastian. I've missed him all year. Um, I've had to pay for my own dinners, and um, it's, um, it's been a lonely affair this year. I think next year we have to time things a little bit better. Jan, an incredible debut when you came third. You came back and you became the Ironman 70.3 world champion, the Ironman world champion, the first Olympic gold medalist to do so. But uh, 2016 started quite well in Dubai with that win, and then things kind of went south. You were supposed to come to South Africa to race the African Championship. Injury, you managed to recover just in time for a duel with Jesse Thomas in Lanzarote, and you got your second there to validate for here. And then, you know, you didn't come to the 70.3 World Championship. Why? Well, firstly, I mean, it was probably the first time in my life that I wasn't too bitter about missing a race. Um, that being South Africa, not the 70.3 Worlds. Um, I had a, our first son was born just a few a few weeks prior and kind of meant that I got to spend some time at home, which was good after the madness of the last month before or just after Kona. Um, that being said, it did have to shuffle my season around a little bit and um, the race we're not allowed to mention here went really well, but um, it, it cost a lot of strength as well, uh, mentally more than physically. I needed a break and I had to learn from my mistakes in, in the past. You know, I've been been around for a while, not so long at the uh, Ironman distance, but Olympic distance racing. And uh, I think in the end it was a smart move because I think, yeah, it was a it was a very thin wire for me to walk on, and I was happy to to pay this race the respect it deserves and and I need for it to get ready. Yeah, post the the win in 2015 here on the Big Island, I mean. It was the, the, the media attention you got was crazy. I think you won every award that an athlete can win in Germany. You pretty much won. Laureus as well. Um, it, it saw you in tuxedos and on airplanes and jetting around the world continuously. Um, does this distract from what you've got to do on Saturday? It's, it's a long it's a long way between you know between two corners. I think there is a, a fine balance to find. To be honest, I was very surprised with the media reception afterwards. It was definitely huge and very, very welcoming. And I think um, it just sort of reiterates the words Andrew mentioned early on that our sport is growing. It's being recognised in mainstream media, and you know, really as a as a racer, as an athlete, I think that's that's epic. That, however, doesn't take anything away from Saturday because you know all the cameras, all the limelight only cares if you're at the pointy end of the race. And I've I've prepared accordingly. Ladies and gentlemen, you're defending Ironman World Champion Germany's Jan Frodeno. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, I know a lot of the members of the media like to do their, save their questions for themselves, but any of you would like to ask questions right now, you're more than welcome to say yes. Okay, let's do our picks, John. Let's do our picks. Now, oh, there's a couple of things I want to ask you. First of all, how do you, how do you attack Frodo? Because the thing for me is, there's no real dent in his armour, you know, like... He's the complete athlete. He's proven that he can dig bloody hard. Mm. He's proven that even when he digs, he can kind of work through hard times. Mm. So if you were a competitor of a standard where you, you know, like a Keenlay, 
which is a bit hard because Keenley's always chasing. But how would you well, race he, him? He, if I was Keenley, you know, you'd hopefully he's going to catch him up some stage on the Queen K and then uh, wait for his moment to attack on the bike. He's got to attack on the bike because if it comes down to the run, Keenley's run's really improved. Because he ran 1.11 at 70.3 World Champs. Yeah, very impressive. But Frodo's only got to be at probably 95, 96% to still outrun those guys. He's still a, a big step above those guys. If he's running well. If he doesn't run well, he's going to get smoked. So uh, that's what I would kind of think would happen with Keenley last year. He couldn't drop him on the bike. You know, Frodo was, uh, just matched everything that he did. And, and even towards the end, from memory, he sort of broke away a bit. And so I think from, from Keenley's point of view, um, yeah, uh, he's just got to sit on him, maybe conserve a little bit, and then, uh, and then go for it. Because he doesn't want to be dragging the whole pack along the, um, the Queen K. And it, it seems like he's, um, not that I watched any live coverage, from the 70.3 but it seems like he's a pretty smart racer and uh okay, yeah and will measure his efforts when he when he needs to so i think it's going to be really interesting as for the for the rest of them well but to me like, like keenley has to take a risk frodo mm. doesn't but the thing about frodo is he likes to run race on the edge mm. and so if anything if you're trying to if you're trying to find a chink in keenley i mean frodo's armor it's how do you get him to stay on the edge and hope that maybe that doesn't work for him this day mm. you know because frodo could probably be a couple percent more conservative than you of athlete and still win the race. Mm. So how do you get him to want to kind of keep pushing that edge, which may end up blowing him up a little bit? And I, and I think Keenlay's probably the only one who can really do it. The, the rest, of, if I was in the rest, of any of the other shoes is uh, it sounds a bit defeatist, but you kind of just I'd be doing my doing my my race and and finishing as as fast as I can. And uh, if, if Fredino's at only at ninety percent, then uh, you got a chance. But I think you'd. Yeah, you really risk blowing your own race up. Not to say they won't attack him, but you know you, you basically stick to your race strategy. Yeah, and I think the same pretty much applies to the, the girls. You know, if Daniela Reef is on on the bike, then um, you know those girls can't match you. Well, you, th- you, th- you think back to the days of when Crowey and, and that were kind of in the name of the game, and, and Mecca would you know that year Mecca won it where he kind of got all the guys on the side. So you look, if we let Crowey win the bike, if he stays off the bike, the race is over. And that was, you know, so, and the way Macca used to kind of get a team around him, if you know what I mean, and, mm. you know, got on him, that was the way you race, that was quite wise of him, and he won races because of that. Um, and so in some ways, but Frodo's just another level weapon, isn't he? Mm. You know? But we've got to remember, I'm just trying to pull up uh, last year's results. Yes, he won it, and he was convincing, but he didn't win by that much. And there was a time there where I thought Andy Rayleigh was going to catch him. Um, so yeah, but was he saving the tank because he knew he was closer to the edge? He, he could have done, but you know he was. When not he got third, what happened that year? He hurt his hand, didn't he? Uh, he got a puncture as well. Yeah. Um, so there were a couple of things that meant that he was never going to have the greatest race, wasn't there? Mm. I don't know. Like, I, I, to be honest, this year's race, I hope, I hope, I hope it's really. God, it's time, man. There's going to be a dynamic. But I have to say, I'm more excited about next year's race. <laughs> yeah, you hope it's not just uh, you know Fredino coming off the bike with uh, within seven minutes of the lead and the, you know the guys up the road are, are not runners so yeah, yeah you, you know you re- what would be the ideal scenario would be you know something like Keenlay being um, five minutes up the road and uh, the way he's running that's a, a yeah. pretty decent margin and um, and then Fredino yeah the, for me the ideal would be Keenlay and then maybe a couple of other half decent runners coming in and, and Fredino maybe eight minutes down and he's got to, got to make it up if it came down to a sprint between like if, Keen, if we had a Mark and Dave of mm. Keenlay and Frodo I'd go Frodo any day of the week, just because of a short course, short course background. Okay. And um, 
and also potentially he is the better runner too. But but taller, you know, coming down Palani, um, oh, yeah, hopefully maybe stride it out a bit. But no, I'm, I'm generally really excited. But I, and, and I think I was a bit like you. Yeah, I was like early on thinking, oh, it's just going to be a Frodo show. But you know, I look down that list. I'm thinking. There's so many what ifs, guys that haven't really proved themselves here. Guys like Lionel Sanders, you know, yeah. what the hell is he going to do? Yeah. Um, these, you know, ITU guys that I keep talking about, guys like Tim Don. And you were Tim Don, you know, like he was talking it down a little bit the other day, but you kind of, you know, he, he's off that pedigree, isn't he? He's got great 70.3 form, and, and yes, I think there's enough names in there. David McNamee, who we interviewed, that you just don't know how they're going to go. Um, and uh, but history, as Torsten told us a couple of weeks ago, history tells us that if you haven't been on the podium before, chance of winning a, a pretty pretty slim to none. It's funny how, how like like uh, um, Freddie Van Leer gets no mention this week. Like, he, have you heard his name? In my predictions with Torsten in the tri- his Kona rating report, which you guys should get if you want to have a have a little something to refer to during the coverage, I actually picked him for third place. Okay, there you go. Uh, Gill's side reef. You've got to think so. I'd love to see Rennie do what she did a couple of years ago, but that run was spectacular. A lot of people are picking Rennie. So Rennie, Rennie was talking to sub 250. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she had a great race in Austria, but wasn't really tested there. So mm. what does that mean? Um, but Frodo, we haven't seen since, since Rote. So, yeah, you kind of got to go Reef and, uh, and Rennie. But, again, on the girls' side of things, there's a lot of girls that stepped up last year. Um, Heather Jackson stepped up. Um, Susie Cheatham stepped into te- to the top ten. Um, and then we had um, Carrie Lester, who, you know, proved herself at, at Rote this year. And if she can match that, you know, she'll be on the podium. So, so you guys would have heard this, but John wouldn't have. At the, at the media conference, there's a girl from Finland, I think it is. What's her name? Case uh, Layton, yeah. maybe. So when she was twelve year old, John, her old man loved Iron Man. Yeah. So she went and got on a pink bike and rode 128 k's when she was twelve. Uh, gosh, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable was that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's the next question for you. Let's say you're an Uber runner, John, because I was thinking about this last night when we were running. So you're an Uber runner, and you could run like a 230, maybe even like even an Iron Man here, or like mm. a 235. What would be your strategy? Just if you want to get the run course record and not care about the rest of the race, mm. how would you race the race? We just cruise the ride. Would you just? But would you? Be, yeah. Like what? Would you do? Like would you go stupid slow on the swim? No, stu- you wouldn't go super slow on the swim. But you'd, um, yeah. Because this thing time of the day, like last time when we were running in. Mm. was perfect running conditions. Yeah, running in the dark was. Uh, was yeah, nice. and it was cool and stuff. And if you wanted to make out a fast run there. That's a silly question, Bevan. No, no, it's gold. That's a silly question. No, it's gold. Saying so you want to finish the run about six o'clock? No, it'd be more. The better question would be. Oh, the better. Qu- better question would be, if you're an Uber runner, how are you going to get to the finish line? Now, get the most out of your race, so you finish as quick as you can. Are you better off running a, a two, fifty? As opposed to a 240 and trying to balance the bike out and, and get to the finish quickest. No, but I'm thinking if you want to get the course record, mm. how would you go about doing your race? Because yeah. people do like swimmers do that, don't they? Remember, who was it, Hayden Wally back in the day would win the swim and then just mm. kind of cruise the race because it was good for his profile. Mm. So, anyway. Um, Jumbo. We haven't talked about the girls too much there, so I think there's, um, again, Jodie Swallow. She's um, a lot of girls who haven't proved themselves here. You've got Mary Beth Ellis retiring. So yep. she'll be pretty motivated, and then you've got you know the up and comers, um, Heather Jackson, Sarah Piano, and Susie Cheatham. We all made big steps up last year into the top ten, and then um, one that probably doesn't get too much mention is uh, 
Wurtel. She's you know consistent seventy point three athlete at Ironmans in different parts of the world. She's uh, on fire, and uh, but she's someone who you know could potentially you know step up onto the podium. Torsten's ratings have got Daniela Reef, Marinda Carfrey, Jodie Swallow, Yvonne Van Vlerken doesn't even get a mention these days. Uh, Heather Jackson. Is she here? Uh, yep, I believe so. Julia Geiger, Lucy Gossage, Michelle Vestibu, Carrie Lester, and Susie Cheatham um, for your for your top ten. Meredith Kessler, she's underperformed here and uh, she's taking a slightly different approach to this year's race. Anywhere else in the world, she's one of the fastest athletes and would be on the podium. Um, mm. So she's got a, a point to prove as well. Oh well, there you go. So, so tomorrow, team. We'll, so we don't release any content. We might put some photos and stuff on Facebook. So if you want to go on Facebook and just see what's happening there, that's kind of cool. Um, but our next show will actually come out on Sunday, and it'll be our race day coverage, post race media conference, and all those things as well. So it's pretty much it for our sponsors: Athlinks.com, Social Networking for Endurance Athletes, Extreme Endurance, Your Lactic Buffer, and our Kona Super Special Sponsor, uh, Endurance Sports Travel. What was your saying before? Uh, take the hassle out of travel. There no. we go. Take the hassle out of travel. Something like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to go anywhere in the world and take the hassle out of the travel and just focus on your race, not be stressing, check it out endurance sports travel.com. And lastly, uh, the patrons. You know how Thank you very much. If you do want to become a patron of the show, go to www. I am talk.me. And if you want to come to Rote next year, we've got a couple of slots. Get on it now, team. Anyway, we'll see you. Uh, And our gear, we've got our shop open at uh, imtalk.me. We're going to have 10% going to Breast Cancer uh, Cancer Foundation from this sort of batch of sales. We'll keep the the store open until the end of October. So get your orders in and uh, you will have seen some pictures on the Facebook page. Uh, The new kit is looking awesome. So check it out. Okay. Finish up, Jobbo. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.